Thank you for listening to the Cinephiles Digest podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm joined today, as always, by my two wonderful co-hosts. Tom, how's it going, man? What's up, dude? Happy to be here. Pleasure to have you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Travis is also with us again today. Hey, hey, hey. I made it. Travis has got his swishy pants on. Swishy pants, yeah. Making some sounds over there. (laughs) We, uh, We barely made it here. Well, not barely, yes. but Travis and I were both uh, hungover. Travis more than me, for As sure. fuck, yes. <laughs> there was a little dry heaving in the car on the way. Uh, That's always was, nice. Uh, yeah, it was a little rough. Did you have to roll down the window? In this? Nope. No, I, I never was, did. was uh, puking in a Kate Spade box. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's but conjuring it, up some real it wasn't vivid much, imagery. There wasn't much to puke up, though. Oh, so Yeah, it was just, pretty dry. It was dry heaving. Yeah. Mostly. You didn't eat anything. Not a lot. Yeah. Hence the vicious hangover. Yeah. Yeah. We were at a holiday party last night at Travis's brother's place. Was this an ugly sweater party? Yeah. Yep. Ugly sweater party. Gift exchange. It was uh, a... I'm not going to talk about it, but... <laughs> Do you guys have ugly sweaters that you just keep on hand from year to year? I wear the same one every year, but it's not necessarily ugly. It's a Star Wars one. It's pretty oh, sweet, okay. though. okay. Seasonal. Yeah. Mine's a Larry David one. It just says, have a pretty, pretty, pretty good Christmas. <laughs> so that's my go-to. Uh, but yeah, that was last night. We both drank a lot. Did not eat enough food. Yeah. Had a good time. Friends. You know, the huge, the usual holiday stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't you also go to a holiday party? Yeah. Was it I also did. an ugly sweater party? It was an ugly sweater party. We uh, We spent a lot of time. First going to Goodwill, only to find out that it was actually just a donation center, and then having to go to Value Village, which was kind of far away. But uh, it was successful. The selection was primarily women's sweaters, so they were all odd fits. But uh, that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I looked amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a good time. Similar experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing like last minute ugly sweater shopping. Right. <laughs> One of the staff members is really funny too. She's like, Oh, did you guys see that, that gem that's in there? And she starts describing it to us and she's like, Oh, it's so hideous. And she's like, Oh, I guess somebody already grabbed it. <laughs> but she was looking out for us. <laughs> Good on her. Yeah. All right. Well, this is going to be a big episode today. We're going to be talking some of the biggest movies of the year. We're talking Star Wars, episode eight, The Last Jedi. There will be spoiler discussion uh, in that one, but we'll let you know when we get into that. So there will be a spoiler-free section in that review. That's going to be short. The spoiler-free section? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll see how it goes. Uh, We're also going to be talking about The Disaster Artist, the new film from James Franco and company. Uh, So that should be fun. And The Shape of Water, which just came out here this weekend. And we're also going to be talking about a film called Flesh and Blood, which we'll be getting into later in the show. Uh, It's uh, uh, written and directed by a guy named Mark Weber, who is... uh, you might know him from Green Room and uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He's a face you would recognize, but we actually have a little special surprise regarding that because we were able to interview um, 
Dustin Hughes, who's a producer on that film. So he came on the show and talked with us for over an hour about the movie and uh, some behind the scenes stuff, movie making in general. It's a really cool conversation. Uh, we'll include uh, a condensed version of that interview at the end of this episode. So stick around to the end to check that out. But right we'll on. also be posting the full interview uh, as like a bonus episode thing. So keep an eye out for that. We talked for over an hour with them. Super nice guy. Had a really good conversation. So stick around to the end it's, for that. Uh, Chelsea's uncle, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, he was in town uh, for a screening of the movie. So we uh, all got to see it, interviewed him. It was pretty sweet. Yeah. So listen to that at the end. Uh, anything else before we start getting into these reviews? We're just going to try and keep mm-hmm. it rolling because we got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, let's talk movies. Let's jump into the, the deep end. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to do the disaster artist first. So let's start there. Uh, we've got a clip. Let's take a listen. Take a person crazy Actually, space. we need like five more minutes for lighting. No, I'm ready now. Let's go. Let's go, Sandy. Come All right, on. Let's uh, roll. Let's Set. Yeah, we're rolling. Ready. Camera has speed. And action. What line? What did line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay. All right, The Disaster Artist is directed by James Franco, also stars James James Franco in the title, not the title role, what the fuck am I saying, you guys? Lead role. He plays Tommy Wiseau, who uh, you would know from The Room. This is kind of a a biopic type situation regarding the making of The Room. James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau, his brother Dave Franco plays Greg Sestero, uh, who else we got in this cast list here? We got uh, Seth Rogen, Ari oh, yeah. Grainer, Allison Bree, Jackie Weaver, Paul Shear, Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> he was a great casting choice. He was barely in it. I know. I I, it is though. pretty good that they cast a little bitch <laughs> to play Denny, though. <laughs> off to the side, and they have Josh Hutcherson. I was just like, what? <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, lots of lots of... Familiar faces in this one. Yeah. Uh, the plot synopsis reads, When Greg Sestero, an aspiring film actor, meets the weird and mysterious Tommy Wiseau in an acting class, they form a unique friendship and travel to Hollywood to make their dreams come true. Mm. What did you guys think of The Disaster Artist? Mm, well, I would start off by saying that a lot of people said, or at least the makers of the films said, you didn't need to see the room to enjoy the disaster artist i really think people should see the room first at least add so like a much clip or two of it yeah at, yeah because i mean we touched on the room in a previous episode because i'd seen it uh recently but tommy wiseau is what makes this thing tick it's like why it has a story he's fascinating yeah he's so bizarre so if you don't come into the film with a, at least a little bit of context around that yeah i think you're gonna miss tons of things yeah, and I mean, I do agree with them in the sense that I think you can enjoy the movie if you haven't seen The Room, but I yeah. feel like... There's a real might... story there, but... I don't really know how much of it would make sense if you haven't seen yeah, The I Room, like you, need you know? Yeah, some sort of context. Yeah, there were so many things that I was picking up on from my... Because I watched it so recently, I was right. like, oh my gosh, that's a reference to that, and, you know, of course, they're like 
scenes that they totally just redo. But um, there were little things I picked up on too where that weren't even that big of a deal in the room. It wasn't like a super obvious thing. And I was surprised that that <laughs> some small thing that I thought maybe I was the only person who noticed came back right. in the disaster. They did a great job of being referential to the film. Of course, they have to. But um, yeah, specifically, I'm thinking of <laughs> how he shoves everything into his cargo cargo pant pockets oh, yeah. right before he goes on and she's like what are you like what are you putting in your pockets and he's like i bring my stuff with me <laughs> yeah uh i like the movie quite a bit uh it's funny mm-hmm. uh a lot of it is you know riffing on the room so there's moments that are you know referring to the room that are quite funny james franco is really good in the movie um yeah he, you know, his impersonation is spot on, but at the same time, like, it's not as interesting as just watching Tommy Wiseau, you know, like him doing an impression and trying to live in that character. He still can't quite nail just how bizarre of a human being Tommy Wiseau is, you know? So yeah. it's a really good yeah. impression and a great performance, but it's still like, I don't really know that this movie needed to be made, honestly. Mm. Like, it's yeah. entertaining. Uh, yeah, I think but... it's fun and enjoyable, and I was laughing throughout. And like you said, James Franco is really good as Tommy Wiseau in it, and I just think James Franco is a talented comedic actor. I mean, I love him in Spring Breakers too. Um, I know you hate that movie, Matt, but yep. <laughs> but I, at least his performance is hilarious to me as Alien. <laughs> he is also just one of those actors that is just like. Maybe this is just on me, but I just, anytime I look at him, it doesn't matter what character he's playing. I still just see James Franco, you know, like I feel him coming through because he's such a like charismatic and like interesting guy. And he's had roles that are so like iconic, but they just, I don't know. He's just one of those actors where like I watch him perform and I I see the actor beneath the character. Yeah. Like he can't really disappear into a character. He's been in a lot of stuff too. I mean, he's like a workhorse. (laughs) Yeah. This is like, this is the closest he has come for me to like disappearing into a character and just like, I just don't even realize it's James Franco. Yeah. But still like, it's still, I don't know. I don't really know what it is, but I can't, I don't. I won't say it took me out of the movie, but it's just a, a thing that you know. I feel like he came very close to like absolutely nailing it, mm-hmm. but there's just something about the fact that it's James Franco that just. And maybe this is just a me thing, but like I was yeah almost distracted sometimes. No, you know? I I I don't think it's just a you thing, but I also think that part of the fun of this movie is the Franco brothers and and the experience that you were having watching him um, play Tommy Wiseau, you also just are getting a kick out of seeing the Franco brothers play these ridiculous roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you feel the same thing with, with Dave Franco? No. Uh, maybe just because he's not in as many movies, but yeah, uh, I thought he was, he was solid in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think he's not as talented as his brother, but mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was good. The performances were pretty good. Um, there's been a lot of people saying that this movie is like touching or it's like heart wrenching. Maybe that's a little strong, but I didn't really get any of that. Like the only time I felt any like, uh, 
sympathy for for tommy was at the premiere yeah yeah like when it's bombing you know like i felt i felt for him there just because he put all his work into it and people are just like hating it you know right yes but i i it was uh humanizing for all of the characters though not just tommy wiseau so that's why i think that it you know was like worth being made and and definitely worth seeing because it's interesting to take something like The Room, which has become such a cult icon of just horrendous, horrendous filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, try and show a different side to it where you still get to make fun of the thing. You're not like being guilt tripped for making fun of The Room, but at the same time, you get to see both sides. And then like all the actors, like even watching watching The Room, I'm just like, God, what does this woman think about this terrible role she played yeah yeah and this legacy of just being an idiot <laughs> and then and then you get to see the actress like really trying and excited to see a premiere and then realizing the movie's terrible uh so yeah i don't know you get both sides that way yeah well, and for me like uh i think the story surrounding the room is more fascinating than the movie itself yeah and it was cool to see like a dramatized version of like the behind the scenes of the making of the room and just how all the characters <laughs> you know portrayed that um it was just yeah super funny yeah. how did you guys feel about so many celebrities being in the movie i found I it distracting did not like the beginning with like jj abrams oh the very beginning yeah it just felt <clears throat> pointless and like why did we need famous people to tell us like how much they love the room or you know how much it means to them before the starting of the disaster artist yeah it's almost like they're validating a movie being made in the first place you know it's like we're the disaster artist exists because here's all these famous people who like the room like it's not just this piece of shit you know you have like yeah jj abrams and uh, who i thought that they were being uh sarcastic scott was in it I kind of thought that, but I, yeah, at the same time, (laughs) this was good. I don't know. It was like tonally, it was kind of weird because it did seem like some of them were being sarcastic, but Uh I don't think they were. Adam Scott sounded very, (laughs) very tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really know if they were or not. Like, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that was there to be a joke. Like, here's all these famous people praising this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or if it was actually meant to be sincere, you know? Um, but no, I just mean like, I I thought All Seth Rogen was distracting. I he was my least favorite part of the movie. So he plays like the uh what assistant director, camera operator, like I yeah. don't know exactly what his position is, but he's just kind of there to like be self-referential and that he's the one who's commenting on how fucking weird and stupid this whole thing is, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of almost an audience surrogate in yes. a sense because yeah. he's the one who's like is this crazy? Like what's what's going on here, you know? <laughs> but Oh yeah, grab the water bottle. That'll help. Him being in it is distracting. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul Shear is in this, but he like barely is given a role. Like he doesn't really do anything. You Josh Hutcherson the... being Denny he was barely in it. Yeah. Zach Efron, like <laughs> his cameo was great. That was, was one of the better parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah. but Man, still, really though, like they nailed everything from chris r like making fun of his name and the fact that he was like the best performance of the entire movie for his two seconds i i i i loved it i thought that all of that was so well done and just really well handled yeah i agree with you matt like some of the stuff feels or some of the casting felt 
pointless or just unnecessary, but I think James Franco just wanted to make this movie with all of his friends, so that's why they're all in there. Yeah. Like yeah. every other James like Franco every... experience. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was solid. I, I definitely enjoyed the movie, uh, made me laugh, but I don't know. I just, that's, I mean, that's the highest like point for me is that it was funny. Um, there's just some really good moments in it and it, I don't know if it actually like took place in real life or not, but like, um, the scene at the restaurant or the diner when they're having lunch and mm-hmm. Tommy writes the script and gives it to Greg <laughs> And he's like, what? I get the main role? And he's like, well, I could see if Johnny Depp is busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stuff was good. And, you know, it's it's interesting in the sense that the movie is about this quote-unquote artist, this, you know, guy who was told his entire life, like, you're never going to make it. Like, Judd Apatow is in the movie briefly, and his character is there to oh, explicitly yeah. be the one to tell Tommy, like, you're never, ever going to make it in this business, you know? And, you know, he did it. Like, for all his weird, uh, you know, idiosyncrasy. Jesus Christ, I'm not even going to try to no, finish that word. No, that was a word. tough word. That's too. <laughs> <laughs> too much. Uh, I'm too hungover to say that word. Um but you know what I mean? Like for, for all of his, uh, his flaws and his, uh, maybe misguided. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, he's an example of not, it's not trying to say like, if you just work hard, your dreams will come true. It's not trying to say that. It's more of just like a, uh, an exploration of this guy who, you know, had a dream and was told over and over again, he wasn't going to make it. And he's a fucking weirdo. And then, it turned into this like huge cult classic, and now he's uh, a wealthy dude. It seems like people love him. Like it's it's a really strange story, but I don't know. I already knew all that stuff. Like it, yeah. I, it all comes back to for me. Like I don't really know if this movie needed. Hmm. It didn't bring anything to the story that I feel like I didn't already know. Yeah, it humanizes him, but I don't know. Yeah, I I would way rather watch the Disaster Artist though than the Room. Same, yeah. So in that sense, I guess I'm glad it was made, just because I don't want to be because I did watch the Room for the first time uh, in between this episode and the last one, and I hated it. <laughs> but I watched it by myself, and <laughs> right, right. Oh, I just can't see myself going back to it again. Maybe I'll do like a midnight screening with some friends down the road at some point. Um, but besides that, I'm not really interested in going back to it, but I would watch the, the disaster artist again, just because of how entertaining it is. Yeah. I would watch it again. Maybe, maybe on a rewatch, I would find more to like about it. And I, I, I feel like I'm largely coming across as negative, but by and large, I really enjoyed the movie. It just didn't really, wasn't that special to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, anything else on disaster artist? No, I don't think so. Okay, what are you guys going to give this uh, star rating-wise? Uh, 4.5 for me. It's a 4 for me. 4.5. Wow. Hell yeah. Go see it. Yeah. It's a big... Uh, people are loving this thing. It's uh, it's interesting that a movie based on like a cult classic is now becoming like a... I think it's doing well at the box office. It's opening mm, yeah. in more theaters. Like It's getting Oscar buzz even. Like, <laughs> Check it out. Even if you haven't seen The Room. It's, it's, well, and uh, this has been a weak year for comedy, and this is probably one of the better comedies of the year. Yeah, it is a comedy, but I, I don't know if I would call it like strictly a comedy. Right, like, same here. But yeah, as far as like laughing at a movie this year, this is the one I've probably laughed the most at. 
I didn't laugh that much. I laughed I way more at the Big Sick. Well, yeah, there's better moments in the Big Sick. But yeah, anyway. Okay, cool. Well, that's gonna do it for the disaster artist. Uh, let's move on to our <laughs> second review. We're gonna be talking about the shape of water. We've got another clip. Mm. Let's listen in. Kill me. I made Brewster pigs in the blanket tonight before leaving. Boy, he just ate them up. No thank yous, no yum yums. Not a feet. Man is as silent as a grave. But if farts are flattering, honey, he be Shakespeare. And then I get home and I make him breakfast. Eggs, bacon, and butter toast. I butter the man's toastalizer. Mm-hmm. Both sides. As if he was a child. And I don't even get a thank you. All right. The Shape of Water is the new film from writer and director Guillermo del Toro. Film stars Sally Hawkins, Octavia Spencer, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins. Plot synopsis. This one's short and sweet. In a 1960s research facility, a mute janitor forms a relationship with an aquatic creature. Hmm. What did you guys think? How'd you like Shape of Water? Well, I thought that the title was stupid because everyone knows water takes the shape of its container. <laughs> <laughs> movie sucks. Title sucks. <laughs> uh, this movie should be right up my alley, all the way up it, because I love fantastic realism, and that's what this movie is. And while I did really like it, and I enjoyed watching it, it didn't totally click for me didn't quite break through to a new threshold of uh cinematic bliss so yeah i thought it was lovely yeah lovely is a good word for it and there was a few really good moments i did overall really enjoy it but there was something missing Mm -hmm. and the main thing that probably brought it back for me was that I feel like the creature maybe needed to be in it a little bit more or their relationship needed to grow a little bit more before it just, you know, went full on. Yeah. <laughs> maybe like a scene or two. Yeah. Right. But those scenes were so boring. <laughs> well, yeah, because they're both mute. Yeah, it's sort of like you're just relying on the music and the... It, it wasn't like... There could have been more humor or something to engage you during those scenes. or I don't know. They, they were charming, but they weren't super captivating. Uh, Michael Shannon is the best part of this movie. He's such a great villain. I love that dude. He Yeah, he's a very menacing presence. <laughs> yeah. uh, he has a couple really, really good scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get into specifics as far as you know spoilers, but there's one scene towards the end where uh, between him and Octavia Spencer mm-hmm. that I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of the movie is Sally Hawkins. I thought yeah. she was incredible. In yeah, movie. she was, was really incredible. Good. Yeah. Like, she's, she's so expressive. Like, she does so much with her eyes and her face. It's like, it might be my favorite performance of the year. Like, it's definitely up there for me. Uh, you know, all the sign language stuff. There's the, she's, uh, loves her and Richard Jenkins character. You know, they watch these old, like, dance films and stuff. So there's one moment early on in the film where she's, like, walking and she hears her, her, her feet tapping the floor. Yeah. And she does this little, like, dance thing in the, in the hallway. Like, lots of little, 
lovely moments like that that I really loved. Sounds like I like this movie more than you guys. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I loved. I mean, just think about the fact what Guillermo del Toro is asking us to do. As far as here's a movie about a woman falling in love and fucking a fish man, yeah. you know, but it totally works. Like you totally buy into it and it's like touching. Yeah. Um, maybe it could have gone a little bit further as far as how quickly their relationship develops. Like they have an immediate connection, which I get, you know, yeah. immediate connection. But then, yeah, it's just like all of a sudden, well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I guess. There's some preamble, you know, she like listens, she brings in records and yeah. she listens to music with him and the, yeah. the whole egg thing. They did like the it's... music sequence with the dance, you know, where they see each other multiple days in a row. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie just sort of lulls, you know, it, I was just sort of like going with the flow uh, to bring around a water metaphor, <laughs> <laughs> but I was never just wowed. You know, it didn't have, like, an electricity to it or something. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple scenes that sparked, but I agree. I was, I wouldn't say I was necessarily bored, but there was a couple points in the movie where it did reach some lulls. I was never worried, you know, or, like, I, I knew I had I was an idea. at the end. I wasn't sure what was going to happen at the end. Oh, man. You know, like, I mean, no spoilers, but, like... Right. I didn't <sighs> well, can, well another thing that we that I want to bring up about this movie specifically movie trailers are out of control. <laughs> the entire movie is in the, is in the preview for this. Do not watch the preview. If you want to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's it does trailers these days, but <laughs> I know, but this one really bothered me. Yeah. Well, this is just such a simple story anyways, that exactly it's hard the to... simplicity of the story. I mean, sometimes that it can make a story really, really powerful. I think for me, I was just sort of, um, just what you know, I I knew where it was going to go, or I felt like I knew where it was going to go. Um, I did love the way it was made, though. Like the filmmaking of it was, oh, it was beautiful. gorgeous. The like, setting uh, was great. The music is the great. Colors, the cameras always moving. Like, the the Red Scare McCarthyism environment was a really cool way to do it. Yeah, it was more. Uh, the movie was more political than I was expecting it to be. Uh-huh. Um. And also, uh, there are a couple moments of, like, graphic violence, which, you know, Guillermo del Toro is known for that, you know, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, but still, it really works here. Like, there's a scene uh, specifically involving fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the lady next to me was going to barf. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought Sarah was going to barf. Uh, that was brutal. Um yeah, I love this thing. Uh, the performances, visually, it's breathtaking. The opening sequence of the film is maybe my favorite of the year like as far as <clears throat> introductory scenes the the whole her whole apartment is underwater and everything's floating and the camera is just kind of swimming yeah. and then you see her floating and you have richard jenkins narration like i thought that was a really cool interesting way to open the movie especially yeah. uh it, it really goes hand in hand with like the fantastical elements of the story because you have this woman just suspended asleep floating above a couch you know and then she wakes up from a dream and then the movie kind of really starts um but i was i was super into it uh it might be my favorite guillermo del toro film i was gonna ask how this uh compares to other pan's labyrinth is the only one 
that I really love. Like mm-hmm. I, I enjoy his movies, but I'm not like a huge a huge fan what of else? his work. What else yeah. has he done? Uh, uh, his masterpiece was Blade Two. Uh, he did both. No, <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, oh yeah, I, I. I dug Hellboy. Hellboy. Yeah, I haven't. I had never saw the second one. And I haven't seen the first one since. The I theater. prefer the second one. <laughs> so. The Golden Army. Yeah, I like it more than the first one. Yeah, I'd like to watch both. Those. Uh, Crimson Peak, uh, The Devil's Backbone, Kronos. Mm. Uh, the Devil's Backbone is pretty cool. I wasn't a huge fan of Kronos. So that was kind of boring, honestly. But. Yeah, I liked. Um, I, I liked Pan's Labyrinth better than than Shape of Water. Than the Shape of Water, but. Um, yeah, I probably do. I still really, that. really like The Shape of Water. Same. Yeah. Oh, uh, I made a joke to Travis that uh, the movie was a, a one out of five for me because of something that happens <laughs> uh, involving a cat. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Pandora. That was a great scene. It was a great scene, but people, like, that probably got the biggest reaction in our uh-huh. screening. Like, the gasps and the people like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Well, it seemed like it didn't quite need to happen <laughs> to tell the story you wanted to it tell. It just for a laugh. Yeah, yeah especially the game. reaction yeah. to it from the characters. It's like, I mean, we don't need to go, go further into it. But they just kind of brush it off, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, there's, yeah, lots of, like, well, not lots, but there are those, like, really jarring moments of, like, graphic violence that, you know, kind of surprise you and i thought they were very effective um and uh what else was i gonna say what'd you guys think of richard jenkins i think he's, uh, he's an underrated actor i, think I so love too. i love him and stuff i see him and i thought he was good in this yeah he's usually always good yeah i loved him he was funny too he was one of the he's not a comic relief character but he was you know definitely provided a lot of the humor in the film yeah. well and he has to he has to provide the voice for two characters in a lot of these scenes which uh seems like it's really hard to do you know because it's just him and him and uh what's her name sally hawkins sally hawkins those two characters together so you have to do so much with expressions and then him kind of talking to himself almost Mm -hmm. because he knows he's not going to get a response uh i really like their relationship in the film i really like that scene uh between the two of them where she's like demanding that he vocalize what she's signing you know and her performance in that scene is incredible because she's so yeah. expressive with her hand gestures and her eyes and she's crying you know like someone i saw the film with said that that was their least favorite part because it felt really he said it felt really cheesy for him and like it took him out of the scene because he was like okay he just thought it was kind of a trick to make him say her words for like dramatization impact but I don't see. Um, I think that that was entirely like character motivated. Like mm-hmm. she was desperate and uh, wanted his help, and she felt like he wasn't listening. So that's why you know mm-hmm. it, that that felt organic to me. It didn't feel like oh here's we don't have to do subtitles. We'll just have Richard Jenkins say what she's signing. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't feel that at all. Like yeah, I, I agree. I liked that scene. Yeah, that was a good shit. Um, what else? I did yeah. like how it was. Paying homage to older movies like Beauty and the Beast, Creature of the Black Lagoon, <laughs> um, like those classic movies that they watch together. And then there's even like a scene that um, reenacts or it's like a fan- fantasy element. Kind of remind me of something out of La La Land. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. the same thing. Um, oh, so the music in this movie, I thought oh, was, I was, was wondering, really good. I couldn't remember if we touched on that already. 
but so the score's great. Yeah, it, it's great, and there's there's a story uh, behind it. So uh, Travis and I saw the movie together, uh-huh. and we we were talking about the movie a little bit, but we were walking back to the car, and I was whistling a song, uh, and I as I was whistling it, I was like, "What what is this song?" Like I I, I knew the whole song as I was whistling it, but I I couldn't pinpoint what it was. As I'm whistling it, Travis goes, uh, the music reminded me of Up. And then I realized I was whistling the song from Up. What? But he didn't realize. He thought I was whistling the music from The Shape <laughs> yeah. of Water. And that he drew the comparison to Up. And I realized that's what I was whistling. So we both drew the comparison, but in different ways. So like, that's he so vocalized weird. it, but I was, he yeah. thought I was, it was, <laughs> I can't remember the music weird. from Up at all. No? No. You know the do 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 no that's the that's what I was whistling during okay. the it plays during the the montage sequence in the beginning of mm-hmm. up where yeah at one point I thought Giacchino may have done the music for the movie because it was so similar to up he really phoned that one in yeah <laughs> did he do the music for up yeah did he yeah oh. Uh, the guy who did the music uh, in Shape of Water is Alexander Dipla, who I think did the score for the Theory of Everything. Let me look it up. I know no, he's a about him. he's been a, he's been hot. He's an up and coming uh, composer. I'm gonna look him up real quick. You guys, anything else you want to say while I'm looking this uh, Jabroni up? Hmm. I liked Octavia Spencer. I thought she was she was funny. There's some good humorous moments with her. Yeah, she was good. Okay, uh, he did the score for The King's Speech, Argo. Argo has a, a really good score. Valerian, he did the score for Valerian. I still want to see that. I, I think so uh, it's on Amazon, but I think you have to buy it still. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a rent option. Uh, Light Between Oceans, did you guys ever catch up with that one? Nope. I didn't. Movie's dope. Uh, yeah, he's been working, dude. He's He did like eight scores in 2016. Whoa. Uh, the Danish Girl, Imitation Game, Grand Budapest Hotel, Wow, Zero Dark Thirty. These are very different. Moonrise yeah. Kingdom, The Tree of Life. Oh. Hell yeah! Okay, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. This guy's killing it. This guy works. Yeah, he's uh, he has a lot of credits. Jesus. Anyway, his work on Shape of Water was great. And he just rips off other people's scores. <laughs> <laughs> he must have listened to our podcast and been thinking about up. Uh, busted that score out in like two days (laughs) anything else on the shape of water no i'm ready to give my star rating it's a five out of five for me i was waffling pretty hard between a four and a 4.5 and i gave it a four but after this conversation it's grown on me i think i want to rewatch it same i do want to rewatch it yeah i'm at a four and a half too Mm. cool well, the time has come. Oh, wait. There was one other thing I wanted to say. Sorry. Yeah, you're The good. time has not quite come. <laughs> uh, Sally Hawkins, do you think uh, she's a contender for Best Actress over Frances? Uh, I still would go Frances over Sally Hawkins, but I would I would pick both of them over Saoirse Ronan, who's also fantastic, mm. but mm. I really like Sally Hawkins in this movie. And I... Yeah. Feel pretty confident she'll get a she'll get a nomination for this. I feel like it'll just get overlooked because it's 
like a silent performance of hers. Oh, I feel like it's going to get bonus credit for that. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Plus, the movie has a bunch of Golden Globes. Uh, it got nominated for Golden Globes. So there was a bunch of buzz. Uh, well, I guess I not necessarily like overlooked as she won't get nominated, but she won't win. Oh. Has like, Frances McDormand been nominated before or won, won an Oscar? She won I for Fargo. She won for Fargo, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And then she's been nominated maybe one other time. Uh, so. Supporting in uh, Burn After Reading, maybe? <laughs> she's great in that movie. I do love her yeah. in that movie. <laughs> Burn After Reading's awesome. <laughs> yeah, people shit on that movie, but Burn After Reading is like one of my it's favorite. Hilarious. It's probably my favorite Coen Brothers comedy. Yeah. Not you know, I, if you consider Fargo a comedy, then maybe Fargo. But I like it more than Big Lebowski, uh, Raising on, Arizona. Like I fucking love Burn After Reading. There's a beverage here. <laughs> I do enjoy uh, Burn After Reading a lot. Brad Pitt just fucking cracks me up. In that He's movie. so <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> okay, the moment yeah. has come. The moment has come. Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. This one, we're going to be talking for a while about this one, I think. Yeah. Yep. It's going to turn into a cum cast. It's going to be huge. (laughs) On Travis's part, anyway. (laughs) All right. uh, We have a clip. Let's listen to that. When I found you, I saw raw. Untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. Something inside me has always been there. Okay, Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, is written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who's known for Looper and Brick and uh, the Brothers Bloom, Bloom, right? I always mix it up with the Brothers Grimsby or whatever. Just Grim. Brothers Grim. Brothers Grimsby, isn't that the movie with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so not that one. Uh, film stars Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver. Lots and lots of people in this one. Uh, highly, highly anticipated second installment in the new Star Wars trilogy. It's nearing some records. This, uh, everyone's talking about it. There's, uh, That's for sure. People on both sides of the fence. Some people are loving it. It's very polarizing. Yeah. More so on the audience. Because critics. Critics are fucking loving it. Uh, Disney paid them. Paid them off, yeah. (laughs) Boost those review scores. What did you guys think of The Last Jedi? So I'll just say that I loved it. But I do have a few minor issues with it. But I can look past them because of the some of the big moments in the movie and just because it's star Wars, I'm a fanboy. I'm biased. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. I I'm also looking past a lot of things, but this is by far the most interesting star Wars 
in my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's definitely my favorite Star Wars. And that's, I mean, not saying too much because I'm not a Star Wars fanboy. Like, I didn't really watch them growing up. So I like the universe, but I don't have, like, nostalgia for The Force Awakens or, or not The Force Awakens, but, like, A New Hope or something like that. The universe <laughs> is fucking awesome. Like, the universe is great. Uh, compared to the yeah. Marvel universe, who gives a shit about superheroes? Yeah. It's all about Star Wars, baby. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to have an even remotely structured conversation around this film because there's so much to talk about. But um, we'll, we'll go a couple minutes spoiler free. I feel like by the time this comes out, most people I feel like are going to see yeah. it for yeah. opening weekend, you know. Uh, I don't think a lot of people save it for Christmas and stuff. That's true. Yeah. This is one of those movies, though, like if someone sees five movies a year, this is this is one of them. See. Yeah. yeah. It's this and fucking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 or whatever. Yep. Like, <laughs> uh, I am really conflicted on this movie. It has some of the highest highs for me of any Star Wars movie, but mm. also some of the dumbest shit. Like, parts of it feel like fan fiction to me. Uh, I can't mm. look past a lot of the things in this movie that, one, I think are just fucking stupid, mm-hmm. uh, but also... We'll get into this more in spoilers, but I feel like the way what they do with Luke Skywalker almost is a betrayal of that character and what that wow. character stands for. I loved it. I don't know if you guys remember, <laughs> but when Mark Hamill first read the script, he like tweeted that he like fundamentally disagreed with every decision they made regarding Luke Skywalker. Do you remember him saying that? No. No. Uh, yeah, that was big news. And, uh, again, not a, not a fanboy. I think, uh, <laughs> I think he's onto something there. I do think yeah. a lot of the choices that they made regarding his character, uh, just kind of goes against what he stands for. And, uh, that was a bummer for me. A lot of this is kind of specific, uh, I guess you could call it nitpicky things. Uh, so I'll, I'll save that, but, uh, visually, I think this is the most interesting Star Wars movie. Like Ryan Johnson uh, yeah, is yeah. a wizard behind the camera. I it's got like, some stuff in my eyes that I was so happy about. There, <laughs> s- there's a couple sequences. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, a couple sequences. We'll get into it more in spoilers, obviously. But uh, the. F- scene at the end we'll call it like the final standoff or whatever yeah it's gorgeous there's some of the best imagery i've seen oh all God. year that was creaming <laughs> uh and then there's a moment uh where i'll just say two ships collide mm-hmm. that was stunning mm-hmm. uh the beginning was awesome too with the whole ep- like epic space battle it was cool start. yeah that was cool it looked awesome too um sorry if i kind of cut you off no, no you're good um but yeah, there was a shot. I'm just gonna get into a specific shot real quick. Um, when Poe was flying his, um, what's it called? X-wing. Yeah, <laughs> some fanboy you are. <laughs> hey, it's cloudy up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a foggy day. Well, I, he takes out like a cannon or something, and then he like whips a 180, and the camera moves with. Yeah, the X-wing. that was that sick. Was so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, and there's also um, I almost cried. At one point in that sequence. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, no, Matt crying, what's new? Uh, that, the opening sequence? Yeah, uh, the the new character who, oh. like the bomber or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't really know what it was. I think I was just so ready for Star Wars that that moment just okay. like, did so much for me. 
I was taken out of that moment because of nitpicky reasons. Again, I know we're trying to stay away from spoilers, but we are in space. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Bombs don't just drop through space. And also she wasn't wearing a helmet. Drove me insane. Yeah. Well, there's lots of little things like that in this movie. Uh, so basic. I was just like, what? How is she breathing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did I did like that, though. Um, so all that stuff was cool. Uh, as far as characters, Ray is great in this. I love the continuation of her story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poe is gets more screen time. He's like not in Force Awakens enough. Yeah. Uh, I like how much he's in this movie. He's kind of the... He gets called a flyboy, you know. Yeah, so <laughs> which I hope stupid. is a reference to like fuckboy. <laughs> God, that that Poe Dameron is such a flyboy. <laughs> Nerf herder. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was good. Finn though was pretty uh, disappointing. His arc. I feel like everything he did in the film was pretty inconsequential. I 100 percent agree. We'll get again. We'll we'll get into this stuff in spoilers because uh, there's a couple different bits in his arc and i'll say this movie separates the characters a lot geographically so uh, the people are it's like different story threads that we're following so i i wish that the characters were together more because i like their interactions as far as the new characters but they're all yeah. kind of have their own personal arcs which most of them i liked but uh i wish there was they spent more time together um and i'll say the best part of this movie is kylo ren for sure I fucking love him in this movie. Yeah. I'm driver's performance. The things they do with his character. Loved it. Yeah. I would expand that to say for me, my favorite part was anything that had to do with Adam driver and his relationship with Ray and the force in, in general. I was super into. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the fanboys, uh, are up in arms about this movie because it does new things with the force. You That's know? what I'm saying, man. People, people don't like change. The these, past. these audiences are so just, I've okay. I'm speaking for a lot of people here, but uh, I'm throwing some blankets, blanket yeah. statements out there, but they want to go to the theater to see the same thing. And I don't want that, <laughs> especially because I haven't been worshiping star Wars for 40 years. So I can understand why this movie would be polarizing, but like I'm really embracing this new perspective. Even some of the things that they do to honor Star Wars tradition, like, oh, you see Poe with his hands on the joystick, you know, and you're in the cockpit with him. It feels very much a tribute to every other Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, just cut all this stuff. Let me see that. Like, I don't need to see him flying around in this anymore. We're done here. <laughs> yeah. And also, and the movie does take a lot of risks. Some of them pay off. Some of them don't. But someone, I, I read some tweet uh, about the movie that was like, uh, they were like very pro Last Jedi. And they were like, Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi are, are, are laughing at all of you because the whole point was that they're subverting all these expectations. And I was like, you're giving him a little bit too much credit. I don't think he... His intention was to subvert what a Star Wars movie means. I just think he is a very distinctive filmmaker who wanted to put his own stamp on it, and he wasn't necessarily interested in 
making just another Star Wars movie, you know? But the, the them trying to say, like, every little thing in this movie is supposed to be, like, they took what The Force Awakens did, all those fan theories, and it was a direct response to that. And it's just like, I think Ryan Johnson just wanted to make a Star Wars movie, and this is what he came up with. You know, yeah. he wanted to do his own thing and expand the universe, but, mm. you know. Well, and I really liked how this movie actually felt like a war. Other than like other Star Wars movies, don't necessarily feel like a war. And I mean, it's Rogue One is a war movie. Like, uh, okay, maybe, but it just wasn't great. It didn't. This one felt like more of a war movie to me, though, and just like some of the imagery and I mean, the pretty much the entire movie is just one huge war, and especially like the last half hour, like them in the trenches and stuff. Like, so I I really enjoyed that aspect of it, just because. I love war movies and I love Star Wars. Uh, but back to what Tom was saying about fanboys. Not liking change. <laughs> well, yeah, but I feel like you can't really satisfy fanboys because if you give them the same thing, they're going to complain. But then if you give them something different that, you know, is yeah. too far off from what they're used to, then they're going to complain. Well, I think that's why The Force Awakens was super pleasing to everybody because it brought some new things. It was like, oh, wow, we're going to see a stormtrooper. You know, or we're going to have a female lead character. Yeah. Uh, but the whole plot is the exact same thing that you've seen already three times. And, uh, you know, the places they go to are so referential to A New Hope, like the, the little hookah bar type place that they go to. Um, it'd been long enough that you can bring that back without, without it feeling too tired. Yeah. Um, so... I don't I don't know what else uh you just can't do that again without being so boring. Yeah. Uh one of the big uh negatives for me is the attempts at humor in this movie. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of it and almost all of it didn't land. It for feels me. out of place most of it cuz it's such a like it's a serious movie and there the jokes happen at such serious moments. It's yeah. like what is going on? I mean Marvel Marvel movies do that too, you know. It's it's almost yeah. like a, you know that Marvel-esque like one-liner to undercut a serious moment. There's there's too much of it. Yeah, uh, I hate that shit. But. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there I I think only one moment like really landed for me. Uh mm. and it's uh uh, it's not really a spoiler. It's between. C-3PO. It's between. No, no. I mean that that was okay. Between uh, Luke and Ray, her first lesson. I'll say <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was great. Where he's teaching her how to use yeah. the force. Yeah, that, that was, was great. pretty funny. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I didn't like the way that they use humor in the film. One, I just didn't think it was funny. Like I thought the jokes were lame. Yeah. And people are like, well, Star Wars has always had corny jokes. Yeah, funny corny jokes. Like even The Force Awakens, like I didn't love the humor in The Force Awakens, but it worked much better in that movie yeah. than yeah. the humor in this movie. BB-8 was funnier. Well, I feel like there was less in Force Awakens where it wasn't trying as hard as it was in this one. It wasn't undercutting serious moments with humor in the same way that this movie was. Yeah. Uh so that was kind of a bummer. Um I don't I I did not enjoy Leia in this movie. Oh god. She wasn't great. The I didn't love her. It's just not great. The worst part of the movie involves her. We're going to get What into they that do in a with second, her is but... is dumb. I like that part of the movie. No, don't. No, you don't. Are you kidding me? I kind of, I kind of liked it. Oh my god! That's the only time I was really taken out of the movie was at that part. I was like, 
ready to hate the movie after that. I was like, wait, what is going on? Let's okay. <laughs> Any more uh, No, we need to move on to Let's get into spoilers. spoilers. So I'm gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you two questions. Hmm. Give me your star rating and then rank these three newest Star Wars films. One, two, three. Okay. Five stars. Yeah. For the movie. You fuckers. <laughs> and uh, it goes Last Jedi, Force Awakens, Rogue One. I don't have to Rogue say One's anything. Rogue One's lame. Tom just stole my thunder. That's <laughs> Is that the exact same, same thing? Exa- yep. <laughs> uh, three and a half out of five. Wow. Flip the order. Rogue One, Force Awakens, Last Jedi. Hmm. Mm. These are fucked. <laughs> you just hate good movies. I liked it. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let's, so, Kirk a three and a half in Star Wars at three and a half. Yeah, dude. You're killing me over here. <laughs> Two biggest disappointments of the year. Uh, what? No. Yeah. No. Two of the most uh, alien covenant experiences. Oh, God, oh, that God, was alien. bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you have not seen Star Wars The Last Jedi yet, do not listen to this. Or I guess if you don't give a shit, you can, you can listen to it if you don't care about spoilers, but... But there are uh, going to be some spoilers. We were just talking about it, so let's start with the fucking Leia blowing up and then floating Super through Man space, <laughs> force pushing back into the ship. Mm. That was the dumbest shit. It just looked dumb, and it just, yeah, it was, yeah, it was so weird. Like, it just it fell out of place. Is there, well, there's another movie where somebody who's... It's Star-Lord and Guardians. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it looked exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was know. done better in Garden I hated it, and then I loved it, and then I was like, I don't care. Whatever. It also doesn't make sense. Cause the, the cabin exploded. There was a huge explosion, and she's yeah, like not untouched. even burnt up yeah. or anything. Not like, even a nick or anything. It doesn't make face. any sense. That happened. So, like, I was already, like, kind of on the fence about the movie. Like, I like that introductory sequence. And then that happened, and I was like, oh, fuck. What, what is this going to... Like, is this movie going to be this dumb all the way through? Thankfully, that was, like, the low point for me. Uh, that was stupid as hell. Um, but you guys, let's talk about Finn, because I feel like he was the most underwhelming thing in The Last Jedi. Everything he does is so inconsequential to the story because he have they have all these plans. They're supposed to be the ones who you think are going to save the day, yeah. but they fail every step along the way. Yeah, they he gets he gets stunned like three different times. Uh, he has like a climactic moment where he's facing Phasma. It's over in twenty seconds. He fucks her up like right away. Like yeah. that was stupid. That and they longer, had that but... stupid. One liner, the punchline. Right? I didn't mind that one. The re- rebels, I'm I'm rebel scum or whatever. No, 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 not that one. It's where he's he comes up on the on the platform after you think he fell over the edge, and he says something like, uh, "I don't know." He just says something stupid and hits her in the head. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, I don't recall what the line like, was. Either. Oh, hey, or something. Because <laughs> he just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, hi, Phasma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. What did you guys think of uh, uh, Canto Bite? The like uh, casino casino type, uh, you know, bougie like the elite type. I liked that um, in the same way that you would that people like Rogue One because it's like, oh, what's the rest of the universe doing? You know, and you do have these places that are kind of set aside that are like, well, we don't get blown up because I'm sure that the uh, elite uh, New Order captains and commanders like to come here and you know have their vacations like 
blowing up Vegas or something. Why would you do that? Well, it's also like <laughs> the most political Star Wars has ever been because uh, they get into the notion of like people who have wealth use it to exploit people who don't you know that you have your have your haves and the have nots yeah. uh That's sort of like made, what you're fighting for you know they made their fortune by selling weapons to both sides like it makes a point uh benicio del toro's character makes a point to say like uh because uh, he's going through yes. like and it shows that they also yeah. sold like an x-wing or whatever i feel like that's gonna pay off in the next movie mm-hmm. yeah it was I, it, that's the stuff that I, I really liked about this movie was just it's so much more nuanced than the other Star Wars movies. You know, it's like, oh, OK, there's uh, there's a little more going on here. Yeah, that that planet was probably my least favorite part of the movie, but I didn't hate it like some people are hating it. And I thought like the whole chase scene on those animals looked pretty cool. Yeah, I like that the city. And then um, I did like how they bring that planet back around at the end and give some sort of significance to it mm-hmm. yeah that was cool um also i was really worried when the you, you find out who the master code breaker is and it's fucking justin trudeau <laughs> so was i i was, I was like, like oh no <laughs> thankfully he's only on the screen Thoreau. for like five seconds it wasn't the prime minister of canada trudeau <laughs> <laughs> justin or president Thoreau. or whatever they have uh yes yes <laughs> i saw him and i was like oh god no just kill me now yeah. so did i but i but since it wasn't him i kind of love it as a cameo <laughs> just like thrill. yeah i mean he, what was he doing would he have like a scene with like one or like one scene of dialogue maybe yeah he was like not now i'm on a roll yeah <laughs> yeah and then that's it he has a shitty little mustache like <laughs> he looked good as that character though like the, i guess like the way as a douche yeah. yeah perfect yeah. perfect yeah. role <laughs> i would have rather seen an alien code breaker well, so how'd you guys feel about uh, Benicio del Toro? I thought his okay. stutter was kind of lame. Yeah. It seemed it seemed forced. I liked him. I thought he was good in it, but anytime he had he tried to do that like stutter touch, hmm? it seemed stupid. I don't know. It didn't it didn't bother me? I don't know why they did why they did it. Yeah, like why? That's probably just Benicio del Toro. He's like, you know, what? I'm gonna have a stutter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That 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 stuff was fun. It's it's more the carefree element of the film with him. I mean, obviously, there are some real consequences that take place, I but hope he, I the, hope he doesn't keep getting typecast, though. Like the goofy side character, yeah, with, like weird quirks. Because I like him as a serious actor; like he's awesome in a Sicario. Yes, oh, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the best part in that movie. Um, okay, but let's get into some like nitpicky stuff. So uh, their plan. Um, so basically, the uh, the rebel fleet is fleeing and they, they apparently can be tracked via light speed so the the plot is that finn and rose are going to go to canto bite mm. to get the code breakers and come back but what doesn't make any sense is that they're doing that so they can turn off the tracker and then go into light speed but at the beginning they say oh we only have enough fuel to go into light speed one time but they end up burning all of their fuel. Like, what what was going to happen? What if they did turn off the tracker and go into light speed? They wouldn't have had any fuel left. They were running on oh. fumes. How are they supposed to go into light speed, you know? Does that make any sense? Maybe it's two different types of fuel. <laughs> you get, like, one light speed bump, and then, <laughs> and then your normal puttering around gas. And then so did Laura Dern just have just enough, basically, to, you know... 
I mean, she did, apparently, but it doesn't... They apparently, at the beginning, before they started wasting all their fuel, they only had enough to go into Lightspeed one time. Yeah. And then they burned fuel for, like, 16 hours straight. I don't... Yeah, that's a fair nitpick, but just more generally speaking, the whole, like, actual tangible ABC plot points, um, or the, the plot line was pretty underwhelming it also doesn't make sense that they had a plan the whole time like laura dern had a plan the whole time why hide that like why not tell everyone what the plan is it doesn't make any sense that it's like it comes around and then pose like oh yeah okay you you had a plan it's like just fucking tell him like why did that need to be a secret Well, at first it made it almost seem like she was you know part of the dark side yeah like she might have had a role in it yeah Mm mm-hmm so that was weird. Like that information did not need to be withheld. Mm-hmm. It only was there so that we could be surprised. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, the movie's full of twists and turns, and most of them are cool and like kept me guessing the whole time. But that one felt kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Totally. Um, the best sequence. Well, one of the best sequences. I really liked uh, the scene where Ray like turns herself in, and she's talking with Snoke, and and Kylo Ren is in there uh that whole thing that was that was a a highlight and kind of a bummer for me so they built they've been building up snoke to be this like menacing like he's clearly very powerful yeah we don't really learn anything about him which is okay you don't really learn anything about emperor palpatine in the original trilogy but he's still a really good menacing villain but then he just goes out in this movie like a little bitch. Like, yeah. it was cool th- the way that his death occurred as far as, like, he, yeah. you know, turned the lightsaber and used it to cut him in half. Like, his death was cool, but it mm-hmm. was just, like, they I built agree. him up and then killed him. Like, it was I nothing. Agree. I wish we could have had a little bit more. Um, like, he d- he uses his lightning one time, and it's pretty tantalizing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that was cool. I want to see him torch some fools. Yeah. But you never get it. Yeah, the only like argument I could make against that is that he's so powerful that you'd have to catch him by surprise like that in order to kill him, or he'd just fucking waste you. Yeah, at least show us like how powerful he really is. Like, yeah, we see him like suspend Ray in the air and like. Yeah, I guess we're just supposed to believe that, and that you know happened in movies that mm-hmm. weren't made or whatever but yeah that whole scene uh as far as like you think kylo has like turned to the light side but then you realize no he's just power hungry and i mean it makes i, I like the his like a uh, monologue about how like just let it all die the rebels like yeah. everything and then we'll rule you know together yeah. and then ray's like don't do this don't do this like because she gets it like he's clearly obsessed with power yeah uh so that was cool uh his character is just so interesting to me. Like, mm-hmm. I know some people didn't like him in The Force Awakens because they thought he was, like, lame and, like, an angsty teenager. And I thought in this movie, like, it wasn't angst as much as, like, genuine anguish. Like, it, it, it plays better in Well, because he's movie. already done the deed of killing his father. Yeah. So he's really tormented now by totally. some shit. Um, also, those red soldiers with those the red armor. Yeah. So cool looking. That entire throne room looks so awesome. I love yeah. the ultra glossy black floors that they have in all the all the ships that reflect yeah, everything. Totally. The red, white, black palette looks amazing. 
I love when uh, anytime Star Wars just really shows you like the force of the the Empire or the New Order. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I really like the. It's I'm talking about the Force Awakens, but when uh, Dom Hall Gleason's character is like talking to all the troops and he's standing yeah. up, like it just looks so cool. I mean, it looks like something out of like germany or something but yeah Yeah, i think the parallels there are obvious uh let's talk about domino gleason real quick because he was annoying in the force awakens it was whatever but now this movie is like in on the joke that he sucks you know i hated that (laughs) i thought it was kind of funny just because he was annoying in the first one so rather than him just being that same thing he's a lame character just fucking kill him off don't be like self-aware i don't want my star wars is be self-aware like i don't understand why used to be self-aware yes (laughs) it it doesn't make sense either like i think from a character motivation standpoint that he would still be around like the second kylo ren takes power he should just waste that dude and promote the next one yeah totally why wouldn't you why does he need him yeah they he knows that this guy hates him and he's Gleason's character has also proved himself to be completely useless in like five different scenarios. Mm-hmm. So what what is he sticking around for? I don't get it. It was kind of funny. Uh, um, is that your coffee machine? Yeah, dude. Uh, Self cleaning. Uh, I did. <laughs> as far as moments of humor that worked, I didn't mind when uh when Poe was like calling the ship at the beginning, and he's like, "Oh, is uh, General Hux available?" And he's like, "This is General Hux," and he goes on this thing, and he's like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, is Hux there? Like, <laughs> I'll hold. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. I did like the banter between Kylo Ren and Hux towards the end when Kylo Ren was giving orders and then Hux would give an order <laughs> right afterwards. And then there's one point when he just like slams him against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that moment, we're, we're jumping all over the place, yeah. but I feel like we're going to be doing that. Uh, let's talk about, you guys want to talk about uh, Luke Skywalker? Yeah, okay. Let's do it. I feel like having him... So, like, it's obvious that he was going to be more of a mentor role. He's kind of like a a Yoda in that sense, which we'll get to Yoda. That was fucking stupid. Yoda did not need to be in this movie. I I did not like that. That was dumb. But anyway, we're talking about Luke Skywalker right now. Um, Just the fact that he... Like, they try to rationalize it and explain the fact that he basically created Kylo Ren... I like the idea of that, but I just feel like Luke Skywalker to me is almost like a, a, a Superman-esque character in the sense that he, yeah, he uh, dealt with, you know, does he go to the dark side? But I've I never at any point felt like Luke was going to turn. He's like, uh, to me, a very altruistic, kind character that's supposed to represent the best of humanity you know and the fact that he was just gonna like he saw like the fact that the way they explain away is he's just i've never seen such darkness and i needed to end it or whatever and he explains it as like a moment of weakness well i mean i guess i should say he uh was potentially going to kill kylo ren in his sleep or ben solo i guess uh but one that's his nephew like come on I wasn't buying that. It just felt so forced to me. It felt like it, it went against what that character means to me. I anyway. think it added to his character in the story, though, and mm-hmm. it paid off at the end. And I thought it was really cool how it was portrayed in 
Like we saw that flashback in three different ways. And I thought it was cool seeing, you know, like what happened from each person's perspective. And then we finally get the true story, like, you know, the final flashback. You didn't find that interesting? No. I mean, how do we even know that that's how it shake down? Yeah, we don't. But I, I think that's interesting to present like something in the past and your recollection of it. Yeah, I, I liked him as an imperfect, fallible character more than as a Superman. Because, first of all, Superman is the most boring superhero for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> um but also, yeah, it added more complexity to the character. I think you could make an argument that altruistically, that's a difficult decision to make either way, whether or not to to kill Ben Solo. Um, but also, I I really like um, the idea that that a Luke Skywalker character could go through an ordeal the way he did, and you know never fully recover from that and always be like afflicted by it and impossible to recapture recapture what he had to do to succeed you know it's like frodo he gets the ring in there but he's done after that yeah i just he never gave up on darth vader it just seems phony to me that he would give up so quickly on on ben you know yeah yeah, because Darth yeah. Vader is supposed to be like the supreme dark lord, the like dark side incarnate, and then we're supposed to be like, oh well, Ben Solo is even more dark, like so dark I couldn't let us live, you know? <laughs> yeah, just that, like that's a little bit. I I agree with you on that. that and another point. moment that uh, I didn't like was towards the beginning. So it's uh, the Force Awakens ends with. Uh, Ray going to the islands where Luke is and, you know, he pulls down the hood and they're just kind of staring at each other. And that moment has so much like gravitas, you know, it's like these two people are coming together. Luke Skywalker is back in Star Wars. And then we revisit that here. It goes back to that same moment. She hands him the lightsaber and then he just like throws it over his shoulder mm. like that just completely undercut all right. the gravitas that the force awakens ended with. Right. And I get it. Like I get what they're trying to do there, but it just fell flat on its face for me. Yeah. It's another point where the comedy just didn't work. Like why turn such a serious dramatic moment into a fucking joke? Like, mm-hmm. it just, yeah, like you said, ruins it. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't like that very much. Yeah. Um, where I could have used a little bit more character development is the, like the training and the relationship between Ray and Luke. And, uh, it just gets a little old. You know, he's going to say no at first. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, but it gets annoying when you have to go through him saying no, like six times, like, no, I'll never help you. No, no, no. It's like, well, we know you're going to. So just. Let's get to the part where you start to come around. Yeah, totally. All and that temple stuff was probably like the least interesting stuff to me. I got kind of bored on that island. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not very interesting. To look at. Yeah, it is uh, on the level of just like its beauty. Mm-hmm. So like, I thought that was really cool at the end of Force Awakens. But like once you spent enough time there, then just like, okay, well, it's just rocks and water. Like it's not that interesting, you know. I got, I got bored being there. Was there was a good bit of humor on the uh, island. The caretakers, when Ray, what she uh, like throws a rock off the cliff. Or oh, she cuts it with a lightsaber. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. How about when uh, Luke uh, drinks that 
that weird oh the green milk, milk. <laughs> oh, yeah everyone's talking about so that yeah gross. him just like milking the those weird it was okay. weird i don't know why it was like a three second weird. thing though so i don't know why people are complaining yeah it's it's so inconsequential they were you know, cool people also cool. Yeah. really hate those little critters what are they called porgs yeah what? they're cute i love they porgs. people hate they're them. kind of annoying like they're just like cutesy like yeah but they don't they're just kind of like in the background yeah, know, they're they, just there. They're not they adding to me. the story at all. You fucking love that Chewbacca scene, didn't you? Where he's like, and they eat the, <laughs> eat the oh, pork, yeah. and they're just like, they're sad <laughs> eyes. That's, it was dumb. Uh, that was great, though, because I don't like very much Chewbacca in my movies. So you got to have him there and having some sort of an experience. Is uh, Ryan Johnson a vegetarian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe he's not vegan. Very political. Maybe. <laughs> uh, one of one of the coolest scenes though was on the island when she goes like down into that like hole. Awesome. Like the infinity yeah. thing with like the okay. the snapping, so like, she hears it and you see like the ray we're focused on, so it like catches up and she snaps. Was... She like nods her head mm-hmm. to get it right in sync. That was really cool visually. It was cool. It, was it didn't really pay though. off. Yeah. In any way, but I don't really get what it like. I get what it was, but I don't get what like purpose it served yeah that that's a little bit vague isn't it maybe i don't know if they're going to go into more detail with that in the next movie or not but well i don't know they were kind of they gave some conflicting statements because they were like the first part where she is meditating and she starts to experience the force and then see something underneath that's intense and i really really like that um and then she goes there, and it's like, that's where the dark side is, and she just fucking goes in there, and then nothing happens. She's, like, immune to it or and something. And they do acknowledge that, because she's like, I came down here looking for answers and didn't find anything or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I really, one thing I did really like was the the reveal as far as her parentage. Like, that whole scene between her and Kylo where he's like, I, you know, like, say it. Mm-hmm. Say it. And then he's basically just like, they were garbage people. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're nothing. You're inconsequential. Your parents yeah. were like they abandoned you, and then they're dead in a grave on Jakku somewhere. You know, I liked because there was so much speculation after the Force Awakens that like who, who are her parents? Like is she uh, Kylo Ren's sister? Is she like, Star Wars royalty? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and then, but it, it, it plays into the theme in this film that like the, the, the Force isn't something that you know. Like is passed through yeah, like hereditary traits, you know. Yeah. It's it's just like anyone can harness that, like which you know that comes back at the end where the kids like uh, use the force. Did you catch the that they did the force pull with a broom? Yeah, because some yeah. people apparently didn't catch that. Yeah, um, so that was kind of neat. So I, I like that aspect of it. Um, well, we don't even know if that's the true story though about her parents. Feel yeah, confident that that's a true story. I was we don't know for sure, this. but that would be lame if it turns out. Oh, yeah. wait, she actually is. Because I mean, yeah. it's it's saying Chewbacca's her dad. Like <laughs> it's saying something to to say that she came from no one. You know, right? That has that has meaning. Mm-hmm. So totally. it'd be really fucked up if they were like, mm, actually, she was pretty special by birth of the time <laughs> as well. Yeah, but yeah, I, I liked it too, especially because there was so much to build up for it, and then it was just kind of like, nope, not important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and. Fanboys hated that. <laughs> we should at least cover the two uh, two of the big set pieces that we haven't. One is um, 
when she when Laura Dern's character pilots the ship for the last moment, that was insane. So I really wish that I could have seen Star Wars in a completely empty theater. Because when that happened, people like gasped and started clapping. And I was just like, you're fucking ruining it. Like, it's can't you just (laughs) sit in the silence? Like, it's just it's meant to be this like huge moment that just like dead silence incredible visuals and people were like oh yeah clapping and i'm just like yeah we're fucking kill everyone in here yeah my theater was quiet and i was really happy oh lucky i was like i can't believe i think it's because i saw the 10 a.m showing oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so that kind of uh it was still a really powerful moment one of my favorites in the film but it was just like can't you people just shut the fuck up for five minutes Mm -hmm. anytime some you know luke does something cool or leia says something cool it's just like the just, crowd was the worst uh, part of the movie. <laughs> fucking Star Wars fans. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's actually... Okay, so I saw this at AMC 10, as you guys know. And although it's not the most uh, incredible like visual experience, it's 21 and up. I love that. Yeah. That's <laughs> and nice. I wanted that for Star Wars. And the real like big-time Star Wars fans are going to try and see it at Pacific Science Center. They're going to see it at Cinerama. Like, you mm-hmm. know... Uh, so that was a really cool scene. And then probably the highlight of the movie for me is the end sequence on that planet with like the, the salts that like turns red. That was pretty cool. And the final showdown between Luke and Kylo was really cool. Although there was kind of a cheesy moment where like Kylo, we were talking about how he's like kind of angsty when he first pulls out his lightsaber. Like he takes this like super whiny, like "Hmm," stance like this, you know, and then he turns (laughs) on his lightsaber. That was kind of lame. But, uh, what did you guys think about the whole, like Luke projecting onto the planet? And like, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. It was pretty cool. It was really cool. Yeah. And I, people, uh, like fanboys are upset because it's like, that's never been done before as far as like people being able to utilize the force in that way. It's like, mm-hmm. where is this coming from all it's of a sudden? Luke's Who cares? It was so cool. Well, and you get to see him be powerful, but in a way that feels appropriate for Luke Skywalker, it would be, it, it would not be appropriate, for example, for him to fly his X-wing, which we knew he had his X-wing underwater, um, show up, bust out the old lightsaber, wreck Kylo Ren, <laughs> just destroy him. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Or to lose. It also wouldn't make sense for him to lose in that battle because he's supposed to be a grandmaster. He would either have to surrender himself the way he did or pull a stunt the way he did. Yeah, some people are complaining that we didn't get like a lightsaber battle from Luke. I was bummed. Well, not from Luke specifically, but there is no lightsaber on lightsaber action in yeah. this film. <laughs> That's what I come to Star Wars for, baby. Yeah. It's the fucking lightsaber battles. Yeah, right. And there was not one. Yeah, there could have been more of that. What the fuck? <laughs> Movie's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but I was okay with what we got at the end instead. But oh, yeah. man. But there were no there were no stormtroopers missing shots either. I mean, how great is that? I'm glad they kind of abandoned that. that garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I didn't like the, the, I, okay, so I, this movie is just like a combination of like things I really, really like and things I hate in a single like scene. So I like that Kylo was like, hit him with everything we have. And he's like screaming and he's mm-hmm. just like, keep going. And they're just like blasting the shit out <laughs> of Luke. Uh, and then, uh, Hux is like, you know, he's like, dude, stop, like settle down. Yeah. And then eventually it stops. Um, 
But him him brushing yeah. his shoulder, like, that's so stupid. It was stupid. That was dumb as fuck. Just stuff like that. Like, those these moments that I feel like I should have loved are just undercut yeah, by moments like that. Like, totally just, like, winking at the audience. Yeah, that was stupid. stupid. But that moment, all like, there's a shot of the two of them and then just, like, the sky, and it was breathtaking. Like, yeah. some of the visuals on that. Uh, another moment that was incredible had potential to be incredible that was undercut was i thought finn was gonna die i I was like oh are they gonna do this like this is bold i wanted him to die me too i like his character but i was like start like for a star wars movie to do that yeah that's ballsy and like okay real character change like real character development and real consequences especially because he had basically failed at everything up to that yes. point in the movie you know so for him to have that moment but then it, the it's so stupid because rose just comes in out of nowhere and saves him they both survive and then the whole point was like we need to stop hating or fighting the ones we hate and start saving the ones we love or something like that super corny like ham-fisted line it killed that moment i thought for that me. worked no I, way. it would have been cooler and if they would have killed off Finn, but it's not going to happen because he's a major character in the story. Um, but I still thought it was cool that she saved him and had that line because it See, just keeps driving home like the whole point of the movie and like hope is such a huge thing in this franchise. She had turned around though. It didn't make any sense that she was able to like catch up to him. I think he was having trouble going full speed because he was in the force of the yeah, pre blast, which is fair, but I don't know. That was kind of lame. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm right with you on all this stuff. You know, all these like almost awesome moments, things that I knew immediately. I was like, I wish that hadn't happened. Um, yeah. But the big stuff, the big um, the big risks that they took for the most part, uh, and then the the set pieces just did it for me. Yeah, that last half hour though really did hammer at home to be something incredible like if we didn't get that last half hour i would have been disappointed Mm -hmm. oh man and ray and kylo their relationship all the moments that they get together which was a great that was great with snoke putting them uh in incommunicado with each other um yeah that was a cool because they're separated geographically you're not going to really get many opportunities for them to talk to each other so and it also makes sense that uh you would think that Kylo actually did turn to the light because you could tell he felt betrayed. Like he was used by Snoke because, you know, mm-hmm. he, he knew that Kylo, he basically says, I knew Kylo was weak and whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, but they were also, they were both seeing what they wanted to see. Kylo was seeing him and Ray together ruling the universe and she was seeing him coming to the light. Well, I also think Kylo felt like he had to kill Snoke. Because if he didn't, Snoke was eventually just going to get rid of him anyways. Yeah, doesn't that always happen? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Uh, I I don't know if the movie needed to be two and a half hours. Like, the last half hour is, like, crucial, and I love that. But, like... Some of the Finn and Rose stuff they could have tightened up. Yeah. yeah, I was never really bored though. No, there was, was enough stuff uh, throughout. The middle, to... the middle third for me, I was kind of like, okay, what's because it's so uh, action heavy at the beginning, and then there's kind of a a lull there where there's not a ton happening. Yeah. Um. Anything else? Uh, 
It's a long movie. I feel like there's some like big scene where it's like not. I did like the final shot of Luke, like the send off where he's like staring off into the two suns sitting up on that rock. Yeah, like the Obi Wan esque, just like kind of fade off into. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yoda. We were going to talk about Yoda. Yoda was fucking dumb. I like that they brought back like the puppet, you know? It yeah. wasn't CG, mm-hmm. but it but didn't need to be there. Show don't tell, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what the whole scene was. And I mean, I did like. Well, did I like it? Because he was going to burn down the the chapel or whatever where the texts were. And Yoda just fucked And then he just sends down a light. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but yeah, he's just there to like, which that's always been in Star Wars. I guess Yoda did that even in the original trilogy. Like he was there to basically just explain things to Luke. So it just felt like cheap fan service to me. Like you didn't need to bring back Yoda. Yeah. I, yeah. I would have preferred Luke playing the role of like dawn of a new era you know which he he did but he didn't he didn't get to pull it off i would have rather seen that that exchange between him and ray and then him go torch the tree yeah or bring jar jar back like if you're gonna bring back a character yeah bring back jar jar everyone loves have him guy. like s- just swimming in the ocean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how sweet would it have been you know that part where uh, luke like jumps on the pole and he like stabs that oh fish. God. How sweet would it have been if he just fucking stabbed Jar Jar and he just eats Jar Jar for dinner? <laughs> oh, I did want to bring up uh, at the end on that like ice planet. I didn't realize, but someone said that Luke's footprints didn't leave red footprints. Oh, on the salt or whatever. Like projection or whatever. Yeah. yeah, they left enough of a door open there where I was like, how did he get in here? Well, and he looks way different. Like his... He's got, like, no gray hair, and he's wearing, like, his black robe from Return of the Jedi. Like, he... He just cleaned up before he yeah, left. Right? <laughs> A shower. Yeah. Uh, uh, Leia? She's... Just is, such yeah. a bland performance. And weird, like, non-reactions to intense things happening, like Luke being gone. But they might have had to, like, get creative with her character just because... I'm she finished filming. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, she had to, like... Okay, so they have to get out of the caves. I get that. But also, your son and your brother are having a face-off? I would probably stick around for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but they realized that Luke was trying to buy them time so they could escape i did like that moment where they were like uh trying to escape and they were following those like ice foxes or whatever and then ray shows up and she like lifts the rocks with the force that reminded me of looper you remember that scene in looper where uh they're in the house and the kids like powers go off Mm -hmm. and then it's like the guy is like suspended in the air and he just Mm -hmm. like is being ripped apart or at the end in the like the cornfield where uh like Bruce Willis and all of them were like, it reminded me of that. Like it felt yeah. like a very Ryan Johnson touch. Yeah. 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 I had something else I was going to say, but it's eluding me now. Anything else we want to say about Star Wars? Mm. What are they going to do with Leia? In the yeah. Next do movie? we want to speculate? I don't know. Next. Yeah. So I, have, clearly, I have a couple questions. They're building up the force so there's gonna be like rebuilding the rebellion there's gonna i feel like the force is gonna there's gonna be a lot more force users you know maybe we're gonna get like a rebirth you think we're gonna have like a 10 years down the road kind of start to the i hope we get like a harry potter-esque epilogue that just totally sucks (laughs) (laughs) but they're kind of hinting that like that kid is part of the next wave of of rebels so i I mean are we supposed to assume that he's going to be part of the next film or 
it, it, the age is so specific, you know? It's like, okay, so maybe he'd be ready to go to war in 10 years. He's the next, uh, the kid's the next Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're saving all their uh, lightsaber action for the next one, Matt. I do like that um, Kylo Ren is kind of a direct response to uh, Anakin Skywalker and Hayden Christensen's performance because he's just so stiff and shows no emotion in like the, the newer trilogy. Yeah. And then here you have Kylo Ren, who's like very emotional, so much just raw mm-hmm. power and uncontrollable emotion. Crushes way more helmet. interesting. Way more interesting. Yeah. So that stuff was all cool. Uh, okay. Are we done talking about Star Wars? One other thing I was wondering about is whether Kylo Ren becomes a new Emperor Master type person now, and he gets his own apprentice. I don't know if we have enough time for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if this trilogy is going to be like a definitive end. Well, he also, yeah, he wants to end the, the cycle. He wants to do his own thing. So maybe right, he right. on it. that would make sense. Okay, yeah, I guess I'm done. It's just fun talking about Star Wars, isn't it, Tom? It's pretty fun. I probably will uh I will go see it again while it's in theaters. Maybe it'll Definitely. go up. But on a first watch it's, it's I did enjoy it. It's more good than bad, but man, so many just stupid choices I wasn't a fan of. Yeah. That's all right. Okay, well, that's going to do it for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Flesh and Blood. So, Flesh and Blood, uh, let me see if there's a a plot synopsis I can read from IMDb real quick. We won't really do like a a full interview or a full review, mostly just because the movie is not really out yet. It's only playing like select festivals and kind of one-off screenings uh it will be on amazon though in february oh, that's and it's cool. gonna be on like uh vod like itunes type stuff in january mm-hmm. so people will soon have the opportunity to to see the film but uh yeah so we had the pleasure of of seeing it because um chelsea's uncle is a producer on it and he's from seattle so he brought it to seattle uh and it's a, it's an interesting movie. All three of us saw it. Uh, I'm still trying to find a, a plot synopsis real quick. It's a really interesting combination of fiction and documentary. Um, so let me just read the plot synopsis real quick. So uh, it's loading. Oh, never mind. It is very long. So anyway, the movie kind of has like a hyper realistic style because a lot of it comes from the director's own life mm-hmm. uh who's, who's mark weber uh apparently his character is like a couple different people in his life kind of merged together but everyone else they're playing themselves in the movie so yeah, the like relationships are all real the other two main characters besides uh mark are his mother who was played by his actual mother and his little brother who's played by his little brother so uh, it's a fascinating... That doesn't look good. Because it's orange. Yeah. It's just heating up, dude. Okay. Tom's my apartment, apartment might be catching on fire shortly, so... <laughs> yeah, keep my eye on that. 
Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting blend between narrative and documentary because all of these people are, are real people. Um, and I'll, we should say what the movie is about. So essentially Mark Weber's character gets out of prison and do they ever say how long he was in for? It seemed like a couple of years at remember, least. But yeah, it had to been at least a few years. So anyway, it's basically him trying to, uh, start his life over again and you know kind of uh connect this family yeah and kind of uh fold back into society um so uh it's a lot of very small quiet moments as far as him just talking with his family he's just trying to get back up on his feet uh the movie's very honest It, it feels uh like it's not manipulative like these are just their mm-hmm. lives these are the people in his life it, it's set in philadelphia um what's i find most interesting about the movie is that and you don't really know this we we know this because you know we we, we talk with with dustin so uh listen to the interview at the end but a lot of these moments in this movie without giving away spoilers here are uh actually mark having genuine moments with these people so like he has a conversation with his mother and they're talking about like real shit Mm -hmm. like their relationship they're having this conversation it's not acting like apparently there was like a 30 page script mostly just they can like map out the scenes but there's not really dialogue like it's they're just being themselves and saying what they want to say you know so there's moments like that that feel very raw Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, they come from a, a genuine place. Yeah, it's pretty incredible what they were able to capture with those moments because they were like single take, like, here we go, hope this turns out well mm-hmm. type thing because you can't recreate those conversations the way that they the way that they were right, designed. Yeah, and how realistic they feel. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty incredible because those scenes are great. Mm-hmm. Like the scene with uh, uh, with the father who hasn't been in the picture for a long time at the at the restaurant. That was actually the first time that they'd seen each other in in a while or something, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and there's also a really cool moment uh, where they go to like an AA meeting mm-hmm. and they're hearing the stories of the people there. And they did; they sat in on an AA meeting and got permission to film it. So that that's people just telling their stories. So it's it's really interesting because it is it's a fiction film, but it's it's not, you know? Like it's, it's like a dramatized documentary. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um so I found that stuff to be fascinating. It's very low budget film, uh really small cast. It's all like we've said people in his life, so you can you can f- feel it, but it doesn't feel like cheap by any means. Mm-hmm. I think a movie looks good. Uh, and it, it makes sense for the kind of movie they're trying to make. Well, he said they got some sort of like special or new camera for this movie. Right? Yeah, like gift. Yeah, uh, like a prototyper. But yeah, it something. didn't look like a. Well, I mean, it looked like a low budget movie, but the actual like camera that they used made the movie look really good compared to other low budget movies. Because some low budget movies are shot on like shitty cameras, and you can definitely tell. Yeah, and uh, another interesting thing that the movie does is to, to also kind of lean into that documentary feel. Is that one of the characters, uh, Mark's little brother, 
is given uh, a camcorder because mm. he has an interest in filmmaking. So you have him also recording on this camcorder within scenes, and it'll cut in between the footage that he's taking on his camcorder and the actual cameras that are that are in the in the scene. So it's a cool. It further kind of blurs the line between like reality and fiction because you actually have him in the scene and they're showing that footage. Like, and he wasn't given any uh, direction, apparently. He was just like, would film when he wanted to. And there's really interesting moments that come from that. That's awesome. Like, there's one particular scene um, where Mark is, is drunk. And he's recording him. And then he just kind of like starts looking out the window and zooming in. Like that was all just him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mark's character is like, you know, those people out there, the world out there, it doesn't care. You know, he's like looking out the window like he's going to see something out there. And he's like, are you even listening? And then he like brings the camera back. Like that was all just him like messing around with the camera. Lots of really truthful moments like that. Um Really interesting movie. I, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to talk to Dustin. I encourage everybody to listen to that interview. Uh, this movie is going to be coming out soon. I think I already said February. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. So I, I do think everyone should should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not super long. Uh, it's emotional. Like I don't want to give anything away, but there's a scene at the end of this movie where Mark talks to his dad. Mm. Uh, and without getting into like the details, uh, I'll say we know that was only the second time he had like ever met his dad. Mm-hmm. So they had reconnected like a year before filming. And then they literally just drove out to Mark's dad's house. Mm-hmm. And what happens there is the two of them having a genuine like moment between each other. Like it's incredible. Like it feels. You know, you you have that like raw emotional reaction to it, like you would a documentary, you know, because it feels these are real people having real honest conversations with each other. So it's it's very interesting film in that sense. Yeah, a lot of it feels authentic and like we said, not written like other movies because a movie that's, you know, more dramatized than this would have a big moment like that at the end, but it would feel a little artificial. Totally. And I will say, don't go into this expecting like a conventional narrative film. There's really not a story per se, you know, it's just kind of him just being with the people. Yeah, totally. And trying to, you know, uh, readjust to his, his life outside of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you guys want to say about flesh and blood? Go see it. Yeah. 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 I think there's still screenings popping up here and there. Uh, it played some film festivals. Uh, so if you do have the opportunity to, to see it, definitely do. Once it goes on VOD and uh, streaming, check it out. I don't think you guys would be disappointed. Cool. The Flesh and Blood. Stick around to the end to hear a uh, condensed version of our interview with Dustin Hughes. Uh, and we'll post the full interview that I think everyone should check out because... We get into some interesting stuff, especially after you've seen the movie. If you do uh, want to listen to the whole interview after you see the film, that will go up in February. So come back to that that episode uh, and check it out. Really good conversation. All right. We got one thing left to talk about. We uh, introduced a new segment. Best for last. Last <laughs> week called Cinephiles Diarrhea, where we watch horrible movies. Uh 
with under 20% Rotten Tomatoes uh, and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. We watched Suburban Commando. We were not disappointed. <laughs> yeah, we got diarrhea, that's for sure. Uh, Hulk Hogan's like a intergalactic something this movie makes no fucking sense it makes no sense like i don't i I don't know the plot there there wasn't one i mean there was but like who did he have to he basically have to go defeat somebody go down to earth to chill out while his like he was like laying low and then he like meets his family it looks like garbage Mm. like visually it looks awful. The music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the music is really bad. Hulk Hogan is maybe the worst actor I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, he's the worst actor on the planet. Like, talk but about Tommy Wiseau. Like, he Hulk has Hogan this, is way worse. He has this magnetism, though, man. Hulk when he Hogan. wasn't in the movie, it was so boring. That's true. Yeah, that, that It was very watchable when he was on screen because it was like a train wreck. Like, yeah. I mean, his expressions, like him acting confused is amazing (laughs) (laughs) stupid like raise his eyebrow and all this he looks always looking around (laughs) he's totally lost which i guess his character is supposed to be totally lost but i don't know i can't articulate how awful he is i thought we were actually getting into something kind of special with that opening like action sequence it's so <laughs> dumb but so funny like it was so entertaining. the villain when he spins around in his chair and he's like <laughs> lounging <laughs> that was so good and his uh, long ass pauses the villain had those crazy pauses yeah his his uh the way he delivers some of his lines were, were pretty funny that villain why Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, when Hulk Hogan's not on the screen, all this stuff with Christopher Lloyd and Shelley Duvall, like all the family stuff, like mm. I, what was even happening? Like I don't <laughs> even remember. Yeah. It was so boring. The kids aren't even characters in this movie. All that stuff was garbage. Uh, what even? Dog ha- garbage. How did this movie end? Just hot dog garbage. Uh, <laughs> good question. Did he like remember. defeat the villain? I would he imagine. Flies away. Oh, wait. oh, they have their parting where he's like, you know, you're not gonna say goodbye to me or something like that. Oh, right. So stupid. And the family's in the background. <laughs> yeah, they're always. Why is the family so far behind? Who does that? And uh, his costume was so cheap looking. Like it was heavy. You could tell parts of it were real metal, but mm. it just looked like a fucking like middle schooler like painted metal is so shoddy like all the production stuff is super shoddy uh i was optimistic at the beginning but it's not one of those so bad it's good movies that had that potential with mm-hmm. hulk hogan but he's not in a lot of it like mm-hmm. he's in a good amount i thought like the goofy moments were pretty funny they were dumb and the whole movie's dumb but uh, just like the cat in the tree and him going to the market and like squeezing oh the melon. <laughs> <laughs> the whole skateboard thing. And then it, <laughs> they do it again at the end. And then he's like, take the mine. The skateboard part was oh, hilarious. He just has a skateboard. When he almost falls, but then does a flip, gets back on. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh man. Yeah. That stuff was really cool. But Oh my god! I can't say I recommend it. That girl, those bad guys when they finally talk and it's like a kid's voice. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh, now I see why they don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. You saw you saw us when so you were bad. a kid, right, Travis? Yeah, 
I, I probably watched it a couple times when I was a kid. So your favorite movie? No. <laughs> and this was a double feature package. Yeah, Mr. Nanny is the other one. We got to watch Did we that. look up? I think Mr. Nanny is worse. worse. It's like right? 7% or something. That probably would have been more entertaining, actually. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine what the plot of that one is. <laughs> it's this <laughs> movie's just fucking bonkers. It's so <laughs> stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I had no idea what was going on the entire movie. At every point, I was like, I have no idea. I what's don't understand happening. when a movie like that gets made. How? Yeah, how. Because they, they don't make movies like that anymore. Shelley yeah. and Christopher Lloyd are actual actors who and were in Hulk good Hogan's movies. And Hulk like a huge star. Like at yeah. that time, it was like peak yeah. Hulkamania. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah, who greenlights this or reads the script and is like, I'm in? <laughs> I, do they just figure they'll make enough money that, yeah, to make it worth it? Like it would, yeah, it would like He's literally just pull. be like get money just based on Hulk Hogan alone. You know? Yeah. Well, they didn't spend a lot of money on the effects, that's for sure. <laughs> I wonder if people went and saw this movie. I wonder if it was like successful. Oh, like the box office? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know it wasn't successful. There's no fucking way that movie was successful. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it probably made us money back, I would think, right? We could probably find that out, huh? Yeah. Box office mojo? <laughs> probably brought in like 100 mil opening weekend or something crazy <laughs> like that. <laughs> All those Hulkamaniacs are just going crazy. It's What's too- that website called? Box Office Mojo? Yeah. It's too bad no one's done like a special edition Blu-ray of this. Criterion so can, release um, coming yeah, soon. I got the full screen DVD. So you can more clearly see uh, Hulk Hogan's hair. Oh, could you imagine this in high tech? <laughs> oh, this just in. Star Wars The Last Jedi debuted with the second largest opening weekend of all time. Shibidi doop doop. Behind what? Force Awakens. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, behind only The Force yeah. Awakens. Makes sense. It debuted with $247 million. Last Jedi debuted uh, $220 million, which is still insane for a weekend. Yeah, pretty penny. Interesting. Opening day demographics show the film played to an audience that was 58% male versus 43% male. What? Those were num- female. Those numbers oh. don't... <laughs> Those numbers also don't add up. That, That's a hundred and one percent. Maybe they rounded up. But. Someone, I mean, were these just surveys? This is kind of interesting. You more than one bubble. Thirty-seven uh, percent of the audience was a uh, twenty-five or under, which I find interesting for uh, a franchise that's been around since you know mm-hmm. so many people have so much nostalgia and reverence for star wars i'm interested and surprised yeah huh anyway what the fuck was i doing suburban commando well i guess if you go (laughs) you probably go with your family right so the people who have nostalgia go and they bring their four children their i mean you only have to bring two kids to make the 30 or no what I get what you're saying. Tom. You bring one kid and it's already a higher percentage than that. So that's why. Uh, that's s- why, Matt. Kids. Duh. Family. Apparently Elizabeth Moss was in Suburban Commando. Was she the daughter? Wait, is it, let, me, let me see if this is the same Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. What? <laughs> I got to Google this. Elizabeth Moss. But anyway, uh, the movie made $7 million. <laughs> Back in the 90s, though, that's pretty good, right? Seven million? 
Yeah. It's not very much money. Well, what was the budget? Do it doesn't say. Uh, it doesn't show the production budget. Uh, it opened at number seven, opening its opening weekend. Wow. That's not bad. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, anyway, that was Suburban Commando. Uh, we don't really have another oh, segment. Dude, she is the... Is she the daughter? She's the... She's the cat girl. What? Oh, really? Whoa. My mind is blown. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those pants. I forgot about those pants he wore. Oh, yeah. Whole, the whole hammer pants. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we uh, hit the old dusty trail? Well... What's next for us? So uh, the next time we record is going to be like the end of the year. So hopefully Phantom Thread. I don't definitely seeing that around Christmas time. I don't. I hope it opens because it's only opening in select theaters Christmas. So I don't know if it's going to be at Seattle or not. Yeah, how could it not be? Probably get the week after though. Uh, The post maybe we'll be able to see Mm. downsizing. Yeah, downsizing. I'm not super interested in seeing that. Hell yeah, Jumanji. Uh-uh. Come on, it's got Jack Black, dude. I'd rather the watch Rock, Blade dude. Runner again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so different. So hopefully, yeah. Hopefully it's Phantom Thread. If I go to the theaters, I'd rather do a rewatch. And if I was going to do a rewatch, okay. it would be Blade Runner. And then the goal after that is to do our 2017 in, in review episode. Best of. A best of, if Top you will. Top tens. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, so that's what's uh, coming up on the schedule. Uh, maybe we'll play the Rotten Tomatoes game next time. Maybe we'll do probably not Cinephiles Diarrhea again. I think we'll probably do that. Maybe well, we don't want to kill ourselves, time. so we'll probably give it a little re- bit of a rest before we bring that back. Yeah, yeah, we got to figure out what we're going to watch too. But okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I've never said it at the top of the episode, but this is episode twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Just like right Christmas. at the end, just in case you care. <laughs> We hit 25, the big two five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've almost been doing this for a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. Good stuff. All right. Anything it's because of our listeners. Yep. <laughs> Keeping us going. Keeps us going. <laughs> Everyone tell your friends. Uh, check us out on cinephilesdigest.com. Like us on Facebook, Twitter. We're at cinephiledigest. Send us an email, cinephilesdigest at gmail.com. You know, all the usual stuff. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting us coming up on a year. We really do appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And we hope that uh, year two is going to mean uh, bigger and better things for the old Cinephiles Digest. So, yeah. Thanks, everybody. And uh, have a merry, merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye. Happy New Year. Yeah, no, we'll be back before Post the new year. year. Oh, no. It won't be posted, though, before then. Before the new year? Yeah. Why do you say that? I don't trust Call you. Call me lazy? <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. No, I just know you're going to be busy that weekend. <laughs> we'll see. All right, okay. anyway. Good tidings. Have fun, guys. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Cinephiles Digest podcast. My name is Matt. And this is Travis. And we're joined today by a very special guest. Uh, we're joined today by a film producer by the name of Dustin Hughes. Dustin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. He's here to talk about his new project, Flesh and Blood, uh, written directed by Mark Weber, who listeners might be familiar with from films such as Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Green Room, Broken Flowers. Uh, we're fans of his work here on the podcast, and we're happy to have you here to talk about uh, the new movie. Cool. So first, you was, want to tell us about the project? What's uh, give us uh, the elevator pitch? What's uh, what's Flesh and Blood? Um, well, uh, we're we're finished basically. I mean, we're at the, the tail end of it. Uh, but Flesh and Blood is a hybrid. Uh, it's a hybrid of documentary and narrative. It's sort of this uh, this new form we're working in that we call reality cinema. Um, this has been done in lots of other movies. Soderbergh's done it, um, but we tr- we did something a little more different. We used people that are within Mark's family, within his world, um, and basically it's no actors. It's people playing themselves, and <clears throat> there's a script, and we're loosely scripting a story around their experiences, and but still keeping it authentic and true. So it's a, it's a and and we're not and we're playing with the idea of the three act structure too, kind of trying to throw that out the door a little bit. Um, I myself gotten really, both Mark and I are tired of sort of this predictability in movies and feeling like it's very stagnant right now in movies and that we're all been trained to sort of, oh, there's a hook and it's coming at the 30 minute mark. <laughs> and then there's another big hook coming at the 60 minute mark. And then there's another hook at the 90 minute mark. And then as a viewer, I just start predicting all that stuff and I just get tired of it. I'm just, so that's part of what experimenting in this form has come out of but mark has been doing this for all of his films and he's been graduating towards this kind of as an actor getting tired of being in films and feeling like it's just so artificial and it's an artificial experience and sitting there and saying oh my gosh i'm really only acting for five minutes and really most of it's about technical and hitting a mark and the cameras are here and there's 50 people standing around and it just isn't feeling like as deep as it could go and so this has kind of been his thing he started when he first started making films and i would say this is the furthest it's been pushed cool well so on a more uh general level the film itself is uh set in philadelphia right that's where you guys did all or maybe all but most of the shooting took place in philadelphia and uh mark's character uh gets out of prison so it's him reintegrating with his family and society and uh you know we're it almost takes kind of um maybe not fly on the wall perspective, but you mentioned it's kind of a documentary narrative hybrid, almost yeah. like an extension of uh like cinema verite, you know, just like cinema as truth, you know. The only actor per se in the film is is Mark and his his uh, wife or girlfriend is also yeah, you because you had mentioned. Well, I guess I should say yeah. last night we had a, a screening here in Seattle. Um, so we, we were at that. Tom was there too, but Tom's not here interviewing today because this isn't the View. We don't need three people interviewing <laughs> one person. But Tom was also there, so uh, we had the pleasure of seeing it screen last night. And uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, very interesting to see how you deal with. It, it becomes very apparent early on that. These are people who are, are not trained actors. 
the camera is just kind of put on them and then what happens happens. I know you had mentioned that there's kind of a loose, what was it you say, like a 30 page script that you just kind of use, but most of the actual scenes, it sounds like were maybe not improvised, but it was, you know, you just Yeah, loosely outlined sort of, and it it would just depend on the, the, the person, you know, and, and the, and how important that scene was to the story and how it, you know, there were certain scenes that absolutely kind of had to have some crafting done and then others that were just, Let's do it. Let's see what we get. And there's, you know, there's a ton of stuff on the cutting room floor. <laughs> right. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how much of this was there from the beginning as far as Mark's vision for the film? Did he always want it to be his own family in the film about their lives? Was that always yep. from the beginning? The that intention? was that was from the beginning because I remember um, him and I were messing around with this this part of the form. Um this a summer before he came up with this film we were shooting um just real people and kind of loosely setting up situations and experimenting with it and it and then he had this experience with his father um that made him say wow i wish i had a camera with me and then that turned into this story and it's shocking when i look back at the script that he sent me the very first script he sent me and i and and hold it up to the movie because when we're shooting the movie it just feels like we're just going and letting things be and then i look back at the script and it's really they're really it's almost all there it's crazy but you know it's a 30 page script so it's not necessarily dialogue the script should be you know 90 pages or so right right um, yeah i don't think you usually say it's like a page a minute yeah <laughs> yep yeah. And so, you know, it's it when I first saw that script, I was like, OK, this is cool. But I also had worked with Mark and, you know, I know that he's got that ability to just yeah. he's got it up here. In so his how head. did you get involved with Mark and also this project? Um, I Mark came to me through um, our my one of my good friends, uh, Sven, who was the editor on um, Flesh and Blood and is an editor and has a great youtube channel called this guy edits um yeah i checked out a couple of oh yeah okay yeah. cool uh, uh he some years ago was editing mark's one of mark's last films and he's edited a film before that with mark um and mark was looking for somebody to color grade his last film um and at the time i had been a i had been i had just started goofing around with color grading uh and so mark approached me and i was like yeah Totally. I looked at the rough cut of the film and I and and I remember, I'll never forget, I went, something clicked in my head and I went, oh my gosh, finally, there's there's a filmmaker who's doing something that I think is really cool and uh, he's doing these things which are really normally uncomfortable that nobody wants to expose and doesn't really want to show and he's capturing it perfectly. Um, So yeah, I color graded that and except that I quickly learned when they came to me with the film that there was nobody on board and nobody shepherding this thing through the entire post-production process. So I just sort of took that over. And then Mark and I wound up many, many nights. It's just, you know, we're down to the wire. We've got the LA Film Festival where it's premiering. And I'm, I don't know how many all-nighters in a row (laughs) leading up to that. But you just start to develop a bond and a trust. And that from that moment on, we really clicked. And, um... And ever since then, we've just been goofing around on certain things and then also 
teaming up on things. Like we've done a couple music videos together and, um, and then we were talking about lots of projects and then this one came up and he ran a Kickstarter and, and said, do you want to do this? Let's, let's do it. Um, and then we just went into production. I think it was calling me in a October and said, I said, I'm in, I'm all in, you know that, like I'll work with you in a heartbeat. Um, and that was it. That was cool. like two years ago. Yeah. Was it mostly funded from Kickstarter? It's, um, <clears throat> a, yeah, I would say 50% ish. Can you disclose the budget? I don't think I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I, not yet. Yeah. I don't think I can yet. I think I have to wait until maybe after Amazon's released it. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. But I will say this, like, just beyond micro budget, like our budget compared to what every other indie film you see is, we are a tiny fraction. That's why I can't kind of, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to talk about it because it's like uh, what we did with them is if I told producers or people who know film and production values, they'd be kind of shocked. Like what? <laughs> um, I do know. I, I, I have this thing in the back of my head that I'm pretty certain that the post-production on the film might be the lowest post-production on a theatrical loop released film ever <laughs> um because of some like using just our resources and like oh i have a studio and so we run i did the sound mix myself in the studio i did the color grade i did i did all these things that would cost thousands upon thousands of dollars myself i did the legal work instead of paying ten thousand dollars for a lawyer right <laughs> i did the legal work i did the clearance i did all the deliverables to the distributor that normally you just shove off to a post house and other companies and i did as much of it on my own as possible because well we had no money <laughs> yeah. yeah so yes uh that's a long answer to a, a short question but i would say maybe over half of the money i mean we had um we had investors coming in at various times as we ran out of money and there's a it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome story if you want to hear it about when we shot yeah absolutely yeah. Um, <laughs> and i don't I don't know if I did. I did. I see you, Travis, after I came back from shooting. I did. Yeah, you guys were visiting. Yeah, we came last October. Yes. So okay, I may have told you the story about um, where we were. I don't know. Two weeks into production in Philly, running out of money. Um, it was getting bad because um, I was running out of hard drive space to back up all our footage on, and we're also shooting. You know, we're shooting in a way that even a big budget studio film would be sort of hesitant to shoot this raw footage 4.6k and saying you know so we're running out of hard drive space and and we're running out of money <laughs> and you know we work with a very small crew that's the other thing it's it's shocking like because we don't want a bunch of people in the room and we all a lot of us know what we're doing um so we ran we were running out of money and um we also needed a PA really badly, um, which production assistant is sort of the entry level kind of do everything person that you get um, from coffee to sand, running a sandbag around a whatever. Um, so um, we put out a Craigslist ad the like a couple of days 
before and this guy answers the craigslist ad named jason and um we told him to show up at rocket cat the cafe at 6 a.m and and he wants to be our pa intern basically for free and this guy shows up and he starts talking to me about cameras and i'm i'm a huge camera geek and love talking tech and i was like this guy knows lenses. This guy knows cameras. This is crazy. Oh my gosh. We don't just have a PA. I have like an AC. I have a guy that can, I can throw a lens to and say, get me a 50 and, you know, swap it out and we'll be able to do it. I was like, this is awesome. And then, um, fast forward, you know, two weeks and we're, I'm, I'm out of hard drive space. Like, I don't know where to put our footage. We have to clear cards to shoot the next day. And this Jason, who is now a very good friend of mine, uh, realized like we were, Going down in the in, can I swear? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we encourage it. <laughs> so like we were like in the shitter. It was, it was bad. Like it was bad, you know. Um, and uh, Jason was like, uh, "Well, you guys need some money. I can, I can help you out. I can." Fast forward, within a couple of days, Jason winds up becoming one of our major investors and um, somebody off of who had come off of Craigslist to work as an intern, wound up becoming one of the investors on the film um, and saving the film because I don't know what we were going to do in that moment. Um, none of us had the money to continue on. I mean, Mark and I essentially didn't get paid. Um, so it's not like we could take money and go, okay, well, we'll give up our... Right. <laughs> uh, so it was really... it's. One of those, like, the coolest thing in the world. Um, and that got the film in the can. And then, you know, we we did have uh, additional investors come on in post-production for a couple things. You know, you know, you have to pay a lot of money for publicists, uh, which is important. When we got into South By, just don't want to head into a, a film festival like South by Southwest without PR and getting a lot of attention and reviews. So... It's funny, all this talk about, you know, the budget, you can tell it's a small production, but the film looks great. Like, I think it, it turned out really well. But it's funny to me, because we, uh, uh, Travis and I just recently saw The Room, and uh, we're going to be reviewing uh, The Disaster Artist on the episode. <laughs> and uh, James Franco's been doing, you know, the, pre the press junkets, and he's been using this line that it's a $6 million movie that looks like it costs 60 bucks to make, you know? So it's just like, you, there's that, that huge gulf between this. So I'm sure you guys would have loved to have, you know, $6 million to make your movie, and then here you have the room looks like it was made by, you know, <laughs> middle school kids or something like that. Oh, my God. I <laughs> I could just do a whole bunch of hours talking about the room, but I won't. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. Like, um, Mark and I talk about this for uh, this. I think this is why him and I are just click because we have the same exact feelings about filmmaking. Our feeling is great. Give us six, if, give us $6 million. We're not going to change the way we work. It just means that we actually get to pay people a fair, you know, amount but we're very decidedly him and i have no desire to make films whatsoever in the traditional studio way and in honesty um and i have no problem saying this like independent film most of the time really isn't independent film like when we went to south by we are we were by far a budget that was 
just way below uh, indie films. Like we look at other films budgets and we go, could you imagine what we could do with that? Money? <laughs> and they're calling themselves low budget, but it's, it's that we don't want more crew. We both have said that very specifically that when you start adding, you know, a crew and departments and you have 200 people standing around on set, it's just not, it's a different thing. You may as well, to me, I'd rather just go work at the factory, punching out holes in aluminum day after day, <laughs> because that's what that feels like to me. And so we'll always be this tight, small crew. What we'll be able to do as we get more uh, higher budgets is add a few key people in places that could take a little workload off me because I wind up, I'm carrying a camera in one hand and getting SAG contracts negotiated uh, and while holding a camera in my hand and, <laughs> and doing the sound mix and doing the color and also just every facet of the production of pushing it through from getting our music cleared to standing there on set and going, um, somebody turn that box of Cheerios around because we're not going to get, per I'm thinking ahead in my mind, we're, I'm not going to go to Kellogg's and try to clear that yeah. <laughs> in, in post-production. So it's things like that, like adding one or two key people. Um, but it's always about keeping this vibe on set that's super positive. That's the other thing. Film sets get super stressed out and people start acting like they're saving lives and you're just making films. And oftentimes a film that nobody's going to see or care about. And there's no point in getting stressed out pissed off and screaming at people which is what happens a lot and sets just go down 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 and pretty soon everybody's walking around just miserable because you're working 12 to 18 hours a day and it should be fun it should be like this basically it's like summer camp with your friends yeah <laughs> and that's what we're always cultivating and creating sort of this tight-knit group so you know I, we'd love to have five million dollars but we'd put it on the screen we that's the first thing we'd we'd we take ideas further that we can't afford to take further. Um, but our, this next project that we've got coming down the pipeline is a step up in a, in a pretty serious way, but we're putting it all on the screen. Um, so that's, that's going to be cool. Awesome. So uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the people in the film. So mm. besides Mark, mm -hmm. The two kind of main characters or subjects, whatever you want to call it, in the film are uh, Mark's mother and brother, who are, in real life, his mother and his brother. How were they on board from the beginning to be in his film? Was it Did it take some getting used to being in front of the cameras? Or how did that all shake out? You know, it's interesting because, uh, yes, they were, they were on board. Um, he also didn't show them the script, which I think is good um, because there's no need. They weren't going to be memorizing lines. There wasn't going to be that kind of a thing. And also just keeping them from predicting or altering what they know is going to happen or scenes that are coming up and keeping them from trying to color their characters and to just be themselves. So, And they were on board. Um, and his mom... Sherry, I'll never forget our first day of shooting. I was just, I was just like, because you turn a camera on you. I don't know if you've ever had this, but you turn a camera on a person that's not 
on-camera personality. And oftentimes they just go, they just get stiff as a board. Everything shifts and you go, no, 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 no. I've had this happen in documentary um, work. So much of my documentary work, it's such, it's one of the things I struggle with is turning the camera on somebody and suddenly they're aware and suddenly they just go shrink. Um, but she just totally, totally natural. No, nothing. I was like, oh, we're on. This is good. We, But Mark, I don't think would have ever even done this had he not known that that was going to be. He's got like, he's got serious balls. Like I'll, <laughs> I, I remember when he just first came to me with the script and I was just like, Dude, yes, I'll I'll go do this because the risk of failure is super high, and uh, and Guillermo same thing. Like he just kind of he just kind of he had no he had no nothing. Um, he's he comes across. I remember seeing the first cut and saying, "Oh, he comes across you know in uh, in a scene like a little like almost awkward." But that's not because he's trying to act or he's it's the camera. Um, it's because if you don't know Guillermo, you might think like, oh, what, what's going on? You know, um, but his performance is crazy, brilliant, but it's also him. So yeah. he is. Right. Yeah. They're both good in it, but it doesn't really feel like acting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that's what, like, I'm so over is feeling the acting. And especially after this film, it's getting really hard for me to watch anything yeah. unless I'm like studying it for homework in a way, because the acting, even with brilliant actors, just begins to feel, you just feel it, you sense it and you're like, you're, you're trying. And now I'm, lo- I'm not in it. Yeah. I'm not, I need something more. So Jim and Andy, have you guys seen that? I have. I have yeah. Yeah. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. That sort of, encap- they verbalize so much of what i feel about what what we do mm-hmm. as filmmakers and storytellers and i don't mean to also knock down a marvel movie or any of that stuff because i totally believe in in those as well um just not i'm not interested in <laughs> sure. making that stuff but i think it's awesome and it should be here because it's an escape and it's part of what movies are um, and I love fantasy films myself. I love, I, I'll watch terrible sci-fi just because I'm fascinated always by sci-fi or the, the implications of like the future. If they're dealing with it in a smart way, you can have horrible writing and horrible acting and that's okay. Just give me this other thing and I'll, I'll be transported. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny that you bring up sci-fi as you know, we've talked about the budget a bit. I always find it interesting watching, science fiction films with small budgets because you can see on the screen like where they put the money you know it's like what what are they trying to get across what are they trying to emphasize and there are certain films where you know the budget is you know sub million dollars but they somehow find a way to make these sets and make use of the resources they have and get across you know their message and make a film that is provocative and they have Limited resources, but um, the example that I'm thinking of is this film called uh, Europa Report, which is, um, it's like a space expedition to Europa, and they have these that sets that I look that. really good. Yeah, it's on it's on Netflix. I think we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, but yeah. uh, 
uh, yeah, it's a very small budget film, but they somehow managed to create this like spaceship set out of, I don't know exactly what the budget was, but it was very small. So it's fascinating to me. And I would imagine you working, you know, on the behind the scenes, like watching a movie like that. We talked about this a little bit on the car ride yeah. over, but you know, you're looking at it, you're thinking, oh, okay, so that's where they spent their money. This is what they, you know, half of what they, got from investors all went into you know this this scene in this uh you know someone's walking on the surface of europa or whatever you know yeah so i find that very interesting yeah i um i've done a lot of work in high budget in the past in my former life i like to call it um once i sort of got out of feeling like i i just i didn't want to be in the studio system and i didn't i've i've done you know regular television and um you know higher budget film stuff and like it's crazy to me because you'll spend an entire day or sometimes two days setting up one shot back in the day before drones um huge cranes and you see in the film that shot gets used for maybe one or two seconds of a cut or sometimes not you know and you just think about couple hundred people all being paid and standing around and all of this equipment and all the amount of money that goes into this one little one or two seconds of a shot but that's just like that's the budgets that's how big those budgets are like (laughs) like that doesn't take away from it and that's why i'm fascinated by lower budget uh films um have you seen primer yes yes that is an example of something that is so brilliantly done with like no money, but it's if that thing had a budget, that wouldn't be the same movie. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't want the contraptions, you want exactly what it gives you. You should have you heard of a movie called Cretia? Yes, Trail, have you watched it? No, oh, you should watch it. Yeah, because it's, it's super low budget, and I would say it's similar to Flesh and Blood, it's more on the you know drama side than documentary side, but it's all his own family, and they all shoot in one house. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. We watched the trailer before we, um, I think it was before we shot Flesh and Blood. Mark had a link to the trailer or something. We were, it was on our radar like, oh, there's this other film coming down the pipeline that is very similar. And I just remember from the trailer, there's this beautiful, beautiful single take shot with a slow dolly in that was pretty incredible. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I oh, it that. is? Yeah. Is it on Prime? Yep. Great. <laughs> yeah, that was what the first episode we ever recorded was like a best of 2016 episode. And yeah. Oh. It was Travis's like second favorite film of the year or something. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I loved it though. Big fan. <laughs> just because I could kind of relate to the, the family stuff. And mm-hmm. It shows like the chaoticness of like a big family event like Thanksgiving, especially when someone's coming over who hasn't been part of the family in a while and has kind of a bad past. Um, so, you know, it get it, it goes there, it gets into some stuff and wow. it almost turns into like a horror film towards the end. And yeah, oh, I might watch that on the plane ride, <laughs> download that ahead of time. Yeah. It's great. And it's, you know, if you're only going back to LA it's like 80 minutes long or something, you might even be able to squeeze in like a Lego Batman or something too, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So uh, what's what's next for uh, for the movie? I know you said that it's going to be on Amazon and iTunes, and give us a little more information about how soon mm-hmm. people are going to be able to see this movie. Yeah, in um, 
I think it's the third week of February. We'll be releasing on iTunes where you can rent it. Please do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Amazon. Um, uh, we are, then we go to Amazon Prime for streaming. And I believe we'll still be available for rental mm -hmm. um, because the deal is separate. Our streaming deal is with Amazon Prime. So right. we'll be on Amazon Prime beginning of February. And we'll be in probably their indie section. They, if you scroll way down Amazon's uh, uh, interface, there's you start seeing these sections like Sundance and independent film. Mm -hmm. There might be a South by Southwest section, which might would be where we'd be, or we'd be in the indie film section. And that's that's where you go stream it on Prime. That helps us to continue to 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 get money. Now there will probably be. There might even be some more theatrical screenings happening between now and then. And there might be some even after that. We're on this platform called Tug that if you really want to bring the film to your city and have a screening, all you got to do is go to the website, fleshandblood.film, um, and you can link from there to go to Tug, which will let you go. I want this film. I want to see it in the theater. So... I'm going to organize enough people to come see it. Um, and you can even, you get like a percentage of the box office for doing that. So oh, nice. that we might have some of those popping up um, out of the blue. So, but, but really we're, we're headed into our digital release How about for like it. a DVD or Blu-ray release. Any conversation regarding that? You know, that's interesting. Cause I did deliver, I did part of our deliverables to the distributor was Blu-ray and DVD and uh, I delivered the film that way. I'm not sure. I mean, my instincts tell me, actually, you would know better, you guys, from buying Blu-rays. Because my feeling is this, because this is like a huge, there's been a huge chunk taken out of the industry, right? Mm -hmm. When Blockbuster closed down and when um, streaming services came on board, films like ours could financially survive and depend really greatly off of knowing that when you're done you're going to sell X amount of copies no matter what to Blockbuster oh, or right. video stores. And that's a huge revenue stream. And now I'm thinking to myself, where do you buy your Blu-rays and DVDs? Do you buy them at Walmart? <sighs> where, do they, where do they sell them? I usually buy them off like Amazon or Best Buy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So to me, I'm thinking uh, that I don't know. I don't know if we'll be Blu-ray or DVD. I think it just depends on if somebody like Amazon says, yes, we'll commit to buying 5,000 copies and selling them. Then it would warrant the cost that'll go into, the large cost that'll go into creating Blu-ray menus, DVD menus, yeah, the graphics, the special features, special features, all of that stuff, and then stamping them out. And so I just don't, I don't know if that revenue stream is still valid um, out of there. So it's one of those things, conversations we'll be having over the next month or two to find out, like, yeah, are we going to go to a physical piece of media? And is that going to, you know, is that an option? I have to think it kind of is. You just don't know anymore about, because I'm my, I consume so much digitally that I just don't even have a sense of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's physical media is dying, but there's still quite a few releases. So I was just curious. Because you are like, and you, you as well, you guys buy discs like crazy yeah <laughs> what do you I'm, I'm curious i'm totally going off topic here but like i'm <laughs> i'm super fascinated by this because to me it's like if this is still a thing 
it doesn't matter if it's not as much as it used to be, but if there are diehard, a lot of diehard fans buying Blu-rays or well, probably not DVDs. You guys don't buy DVDs anymore, right? Not rarely. Oh. Rarely. Cause it just yeah. looks like crap. Um, <laughs> uh, but like to me, I'm all, my mind is constantly going, thinking of revenue streams and trying to think outside the box of how we can continue to make these films and be left alone. Cause that's the other thing I didn't even mention that is so awesome. And the reason why I have no interest in working in a studio system or a television studio system anymore is that we're left completely alone, completely. There is nobody making the decisions on these films. There's nobody saying, you know what you're going to have to do. You're going to need to give us this happy ending thing, or we need to, there's none of that. And so I'm always in my mind trying to maintain the only way to maintain that freedom is maintaining your own revenue streams and your own sources of funding. And so I'm always thinking in my head, like where are these undiscovered little places that we can get money and fund the film, you know? So geez, is is there enough Blu-ray action out there? It's, you know, where we stamp them out and sell them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Physical media seems like it's turning more into like a niche thing where it's all about collector's editions and only like the true fans and the collectors are the ones okay. buying them. But casual movie goers, like I had a friend I, I told that I just bought a bunch of movies over Black Friday and he just basically said I was stupid and that no one buys discs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, you know, like Shout Factory or like uh, Criterion. There's mm-hmm. a few other like small like pop-up boutiques that they just do like these special releases and give a bunch of special features and try and make it like a, you know, something special because fans are more willing to buy that kind of thing. Right. Special features. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Because there's not really that interface I've seen yet in digital. Yeah, just... there's I think some of it on like Voodoo, but if you want to see like a commentary on Amazon prime, you know, you'd have to buy the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's cool. And part of it for me, part of the big appeal for me is accessibility in the sense that if I want to watch a movie and it's in my collection, I can just grab from the shelf and watch it. Whereas we're so heavily reliant upon streaming services now those licenses don't last forever. So things are constantly dropping off of surface services. Maybe you want to watch something and it's on a service that you don't subscribe to. Um, so I was dying to watch uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind uh. a month or so ago. And I was just, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. And uh, it wasn't streaming anywhere. And I was just like, if I had this in my collection, I could have just popped it on. So what I ended up having to do was uh, it was streaming on like Sundance Now, which you can get through Amazon as like a seven day trial. So usually it's okay. like a paid subscription on top of your Amazon. So I would just like, you know what? I'm going to do the seven day trial, watch Eternal Sunshine, cancel it the next day, you know? Yeah. So it's just like having that access to something and anytime i want i can pop it on and watch the commentary or i can watch the you know the making of documentary feature you know like Mm -hmm. that's as a film uh fan and you know a cinephile that's that's what appeals to me is is that aspect of it Uh for sure yeah and if you have like a favorite movie and you know someone hasn't seen it you can just let them easily borrow it um 
but yeah, I'm in the same boat as Matt. I, and they just look really cool. I love looking at my shelf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the shelf appeal is a big factor too. Like I like the idea of someone walking in and they see my Blu-rays and like, ooh. In my head, I think in their head, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Look at all those movies. They're probably like, what the fucking waste of money? Yeah. What's this guy doing? <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day um, about this, um, this uh, the, the realizing the thing I miss is the video store uh, experience of walking through and choosing your movie in that way. I guess it's similar to bookstores, right? It's that same idea of like, there is a nostalgia and there is a cool experience of that. Like, I'm not sure what I want to watch tonight. Yeah. And I want, I don't, my choices aren't being dictated by who has the most money that throws the title up in front of your face, which is kind of what happens in Netflix world, Amazon world. Like the first things that show up in that, feed on the screen are either the things that they are pushing or that are theirs or whatever, or they're the big blockbuster releases. So the video store is a, not a place. I mean, yes, they can put titles at the, you know, up in front and all that, but, but, you know, I miss those, that experience, the old school video stores, like you just go in and go, I don't know what I'm going to watch tonight. And you're just browsing and, yeah, you know, and you have to make a commitment right there. And, you know, you've, rented it and you've brought it home so you're kind of invested you have to watch it with streaming you could throw something on five minutes like, eh, i'm not really feeling this try something else yeah, 20 seconds point. later you have another movie on i know, know. <laughs> it's just like ah but you know uh, this is that thing too it's like i the last thing in the world i'm gonna be is that like grandpa sitting there going in my day you didn't you just sat through a whole movie and it yeah. didn't matter uh <laughs> You know, I very much embrace progress and I'm always feeling like, okay, well, that's the case. Then everybody needs to up their game. Then yeah. you better, you better compel your audience. You better. And if, unless like for us, we're not, we know we're not going to hit mainstream audiences and that's okay. What is valuable to us. And Mark and I were talking about this a couple days ago as I was coming here for the screening and saying, dude, I don't know if anybody's going to even be there. He's like, yeah, but you know what? If 10 people see this film, how awesome is that? that we should just were shared this piece of work. Like that's all that matters. And if one of those people is affected, that's it. It's like, yes, that's right. That's why we do it. We're not, we're not doing it to get everybody. It's a dangerous thing to chase that, chase that sort of fame, that having that ego and chasing that, uh, you, you know, this happens so easily. It's like, Oh, we got Hollywood reporter to review us. We got this, we got that. And you're just chasing and you're chasing. And then your next film, you're going, okay, well, what, what can we do to make sure that we get Hollywood report? And you, it's really dangerous if you start bending how you make your film in order to go after those things that only feed your ego. Right. And that's a tricky place. And it's why I think to me, I see s- some filmmakers that do really cool stuff and then they start, not doing such cool stuff and they're not being as bold and i think it's because you start getting into that mindset of wanting to please everybody wanting to chase that elusive thing of attention and uh, applause because it's human nature totally uh all right well before we let you go uh how much can you say about what's next for you i know you sounds like you have something coming down the pipe with mark again yeah is there much your liberty to say as far as what's next for you yeah i mean we've i mean the funny thing is we've we've always got like a bunch of things going like i have to finish that music video in a week uh (laughs) i i have a documentary that i've started um almost a year ago no probably nine months ago a feature documentary um and uh 
and then the thing that's right in front of our plate is we're going into production on Mark's next film, which is uh, a fantasy. It's taking this reality cinema into the world of um, fantasy. Um, I don't want to call it a children's movie because it's it's, it's going to have a child as the main character, but um, it's a fantasy movie for both adults and children, kind of. Um, and so we're going to take this reality cinema into that world and it will be a world of kind of magic and fantasy um and i can't even say the title yet i mean we are you know we're we're gonna i think we're supposed to be shooting in i don't know how many weeks uh so that's gonna be the next project and i'm i'm really this has been i'm excited for it uh i mark sent me the script a few months ago and i think it's brilliant and i think it's cool and i i'm it's good we're gonna have a lot of practical effects i can tell you that it's we're we've got our work cut out for us but it's gonna be cool yeah it sounds super unique i mean as far as reality fantasy i mean it doesn't even make sense but i know I'm curious to see. i know <laughs> i know yeah but that's why you know we're also got to do practical vis effects yeah you know the things have to be there they have to be believable there in the moment right. and uh so that's going to be a lot of fun because it's also kind of a dying art. Yeah. Um, and I've always wanted to explore it. Like, so yeah, that's, that's what we've got. I mean, we, we have a pilot we shot, a TV pilot we shot this last summer that is maybe even taking reality cinema even a, a bit further. Um, and uh, that's also something that's, I've been trying to get edited now for a few months. So we, we, we have more stuff than we have time. Um, have you started shopping that around at all, or I have to get um, the a, a cut finished oh, okay. of the first episode, um, and so it's just uh, yeah, I'm just pulled in a million directions. So I've like been on the kind of tour with the film and pushing it and press, and then just delivering the film has been the last several months of my life, making sure that we get everything delivered. Um, and so it's stealing away moments to say, oh, now I'm going to edit this and work on this. And then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to go shoot the music video. Great. I need to prep that and, you know, figure it out and then edit that. And uh, and then I'm shooting my own documentary um, and I'm writing. I have a I'm going to direct my first film um, when we finish this next one with Mark um, and Mark is going to star in it and he's going to be my producer. Um, and so there's that i'm trying to get ready and prepped i think i might do that up here awesome so maybe we'll have a little conversation before um before that gets underway um but that'll if you need a coffee guy gotcha. <laughs> dude all right i mean you know maybe maybe you take uh take a month off of work oh no actually well we'll talk about it Okay. No, because it's 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 also a reality cinema piece, but it's really, really taking it, taking it as far as you can actually go. With yeah. It. Um, and it's, I, I can't talk about it because um, I can't even talk about it with Mark because he can't know about it. He's going to walk into something in which he has no, he doesn't know. There's no script. For him, I can't show him the script, uh, which that's what I love him to death because that's he's trusts 
me to do that. And that's no small thing. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot on our, our plates. But this, this next film is front and center right now that we're going to be shooting uh, in Wales uh, in January. So yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm excited for all of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Well, Flesh and Blood is the name of the film. Uh, anything you want to plug? Websites, Instagram, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, uh, fleshandblood.film is the website for the film. And from there stems everything. Screenings, um, information, when it's being released, where it's going. Um, and then the Instagram is uh, fleshbloodfilm uh, and Twitter at fleshbloodfilm. And yeah, that's I think that's about all I... I have to plug for it. Yeah, and keep an eye out for iTunes and Amazon. And maybe you could edit this out if I don't know if I can like, but I had this thought last night of if you want to support the film, put it on, stream it on your Amazon Prime if you have Amazon Prime and just put it on a loop. <laughs> Rack up those plays. <laughs> I'm wondering how, I've, I've got to do some research on how that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they just go, look, this IP address watched it once. That's all. You oh, don't get yeah. credit for an, if they watch it again. And I, but I don't know. So my house might have um, a loop. To it every night. Yeah. <laughs> this guy watched Flesh and Blood 500 times. He really likes this Mark Webber guy. <laughs> There's about 100 or 200 people out across the country who are watching Flesh and Blood 500 times over. What's going on? They have something special here. That's great. <laughs> Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Dustin. It was a pleasure. We'd love to have you you on again, maybe after you finish this next project or 50 projects you're doing. Totally. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, I would do this anytime. You know, I like, I, this is all I do. This is all I eat and breathe. And so I love to, especially like cinephiles, like you guys are, (laughs) I am like in, I'm like in awe of (laughs) your knowledge and your, it's like you guys keep the whole, business humming like you're sort of the guides which is cool um so yeah let's well you know when i get back into town i'll talk anytime seriously just call me up and i'll pipe in i've got plenty of mics and we'll do something awesome awesome yeah. appreciate that yeah okay great well thanks cool. for joining us dustin it's a thank pleasure you guys thank you man <laughs>